Hello and welcome back to an episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. It's been a little bit. It's been about uh, two months now. I did end up taking a little break at the end of the year and I guess the beginning of 2023. Happy 2023. Happy New Year. Happy Christmas. Happy Holidays. I hope everybody had a great season or at least a bearable one. We'll get a little bit into the uh, why and what and everything of this little break that the podcast has taken when we get started with things, Um, but I wanted to let you know of what we're going to be going over on this episode since it has been a good minute. And the podcast is going to do a little bit of a, mm, let's call it a reset um, in the terms of what we're going to be talking about and how we're going to be talking about it. Um, And hopefully in this little breakdown of what I have planned to record on this episode, you will kind of catch on to that. Or if you're new, welcome. This is how we do things now. Around the time that I took this break for the podcast, uh, pretty much the entire entertainment and uh, the queer community as well was rocked with the passing of Kevin Conroy. So I do have a bit of a, an obituary about him. Um, uh, that'll go before the more or less regular news, of which it pretty much circulates around... Um, Oh gosh, a lot of uh, MCU and DCEU things. I kind of hate to say it, um, but it, ha- it has been quite a whirlwind in that in that world. We c- we can't deny that at all. And there is other news, but it's going to be talked about in the section that it belongs in. Like the next section here, we're going over manga and anime. We have our spotlight of the week manga, which is going to be Cat Gamer, or is it Cat Plus Gamer? I'm not sure how people refer to it, but it's that one, and it's fantastic. Um, And we're also going to talk about, uh, for news for that, the manga release info, uh, and then a little bit of anime release info of 2023, for for 2023. Um, Some things that I know that I am looking forward to or that sound interesting that maybe other people will look forward to. And then after that, we have this new segment, uh, which I know you're probably going to be a little bit taken aback by, but it is going to be going over tarot. Um, And before you kind of get a little bit weirded out by that, I myself am an extremely logical person. Um, I have a hard time with anything, you know, up that sort of alley, let's just say. Um, But one thing that I can't deny is the usefulness and intrigue of uh, tarot and oracle cards, which are two separate things. We're going to start with tarot and we'll get into oracle stuff after, you know, if there remains to be interest. Um, And we'll talk about a little bit about the the ways to use tarot and look at tarot um, as a person who does not really follow any kind of metaphysical stuff, because it really there's a reason that it has become such a societal thing and that it has so many varieties and so many different takes on it is because it is rooted in the nature of things and humanity. And that's what's part of what's really cool about it. But anyway, we'll have a little bit about that. Um, and I'll go over some of the plans that I have for the tarot segment in 2023 and some really cool tarot and oracle decks that uh, are going to be released because, again, you get some really cool creators. Vida Yala, for example, is a comic creator who has um, worked on a tarot deck that I own, and we'll talk about that at some point. 
and you get really cool topics in it as well. So in any case, we'll talk about all of that when we get up to it. Um, and then we'll get into comic books, of which we have a lot of things to talk about. I will briefly go over the best of 2022, um, which I was going to do like a whole in-depth thing, but we're really just going to list them out because who has the time? I mean, I've had two months, but shh. Again, we'll go over all of why that happened in the beginning of the proper episode. Uh, then there's a little bit of a 2022 wrap-up, things that happened at the end of the year. If you want to, or if you were not really paying attention, I, I kind of wasn't either, and I had to do a lot of research for just this tiny bit that I have here. That's what happens when you don't pay attention. So listen to this podcast, because I will pay attention for you and then let you know you know, the stuff. And then we have a 2023 preview, which are things that are exciting that we know about so far in the year of 2023 that is going to be released. Um, there is also a little bit about Free Comic Book Day 2023. We'll get more into that when we get closer to May, which is when a Free Comic Book Day happens. It's always the first Saturday in May, now that it's post-COVID and everything is more or less back to normal. Um, we'll get more into what all of those comics are and everything when we get closer to May, but I just want to list a few of the titles off and publishers so that uh, you can kind of start getting an idea and plan out if you would like to have that day to focus on the free comic book day at your local comic shop. And if you have no idea what free comic book day is, I will also explain that when we get there. So then we have the new this week in comics, which I have a couple of highlights of, and then a couple of things that I we're gonna, I'm going to briefly go over, um, such as the return of Saga and Monstrous, yay, and some other fun things that are happening. And then we will go into the much longer thing, which is the things that I have been reading and catching up on in the past two months. Yay! And that's going to go everywhere from the ending of Dark Crisis and Judgment Day uh, to the beginning of Dark Web and Lazarus Planet. I'm actually going to go pretty much a lot looser on Dark Web because I respect it way, 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 way less. Um, but it has its moments. We'll get there when we get there. Um, and then we're going to do a little bit more in-depth on a coverage of the Lazarus Planet event because I had to do a lot of research on that as opposed to actually reading the issues because I didn't get the issues myself. Uh, but I did a lot of research on it and asked people who did read it and got what they had to say about it, etc. I do have a really great rundown from somebody on Tumblr of all places um, who had a perfect explanation of the lead up to Lazarus Planet. But anyway, and then we'll cover a little bit of where we have gotten so far in Lazarus Planet and then the many things that are coming still in the event, which is actually going to last apparently all the way through April um, with a lot of tie-ins and one-shots and whatnot. There is no real main series for Lazarus Planet. It's a lot of like tie-ins and one-shots, but that's okay. Um, I like it a lot more than the general vibe of Dark Web. <laughs> uh, and then we're covering a lot of comics, starting with uh, some things that are, you know, it's not really starting with things that I like more. It's, it's, the more that I talk about it, more or less, don't take it, the 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 more that I liked it. Um, although there are some things like that I don't talk about too much, I'm not going to talk about too much, like Poison Ivy and Photon, those are fantastic. Uh, and then we have some other things that are, uh, you know, indie, like Red Sonja, Hell Sonja, Hexware. I actually really enjoyed um, Red Sonja versus Vampirella, that was awesome. I caught up on Earth Divers, Grimm, um... And then some other, you know, uh, Two Graves. The Historia number three came out. Absolutely wonderful. And then, of course, you know, Captain Marvel, She-Hulk, and 
uh, Peach Momoko's Demon Wars. At that point, we are going to be finished with the comics portion of things. I will do my best to cover a little bit of the news of the shows and movies, which is going to cover some new and noteworthy things that have happened, as well as the... Uh, it's kind of it's kind of it's a pretty good deal of trailers that have come out um, since the break, you know, the hiatus here that we've been on. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about those. I think though I'm going to skip the current shows um, that are going because I have not done a write up for Teen Titans, although I've been watching it, um, and I have not done a write up for Doom Patrol because we have not finished it even though I'm pretty sure it's done premiering the first half of the season. I'm not sure. I'm not even aware. Uh, but the one thing I also really want to get, so I might skip most of the news and all of that to make sure that I have the, you know, breadth and, and spoons and energy for um, the Wakanda Forever review and breakdown, um, because obviously that has come out and that has been out for a while. Um, and I've had this review written for quite some time as well. Um, so I finally want I finally want to put that out there for people to hear if if they have the interest. So um, I will make sure that I, if no other show and movie content gets into this episode, it will get the Wakanda Forever breakdown, and I'm highlighting that in my notes here so that I hopefully recall it. <laughs> So now, before we get started with the episode content itself, uh, a little bit about the podcast. And if you're new here, welcome. If you are returning, thank you. I appreciate any amount of time that you listen to the podcast. Um, my, I have a lot of other things that I do. I have a website. It'll be all linked below. I have a YouTube pay, uh, channel where I do a lot of action figure review videos. Um, I can now I can say that again because I finally uploaded. I want to say it was like six months, at least like five months worth of reviews that I had not posted, but they had been recorded and more or less put together. Um, and so those you can find on my YouTube channel. It's stuff like the um, the Crow, the Eric Draven the Crow that came out. I believe that was, um, I always get them mixed up, Mezco and Moffex. Ugh. Um, I want to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Mezco. I believe that was Mezco. Um, and then, you know, we have the other one, which I think was the Moffix, right? Hush Harley Quinn. That was another one that I got up there. Um, and then a few other fun things. Uh, the Anya Forger, you know, from Fig Arts, a lot of fun stuff like that. Um, so that's all on my YouTube channel. I also post the episodes of the podcast on the YouTube channel in case it's just easier for people to listen to, you know, at their jobs or whatever. Speaking of jobs, I do work, which is a lot of why I... Um, have been gone for this period because the holidays were crazy, uh, at my job and whatnot. Um, but I also have a lot of like donation pages and whatnot set up for the podcast because anything that gets sent to that goes to me being able to work on the podcast other than spending time at my job, which is what, you know, the m money would be coming from otherwise. So if you would like to support the podcast and put a little bit into funding its betterment and my being able to work on its betterment, then those donation pages are always there for that. Otherwise, the best way that you can support the podcast is just by sharing it with people who you know. Uh, the more viewership we get, I don't make, I don't have any ads, I don't do anything like that, I don't currently make any money off of uh, the podcast directly um from its streaming so any any of that that you would like to send to people um 
eventually maybe I will set that up and that will be another way that I'll be making. But if, but I just wanted to have a good community set up. And speaking of community, um, I will have a Discord link set up in the description below. It's a resetting link, so if you're listening to this later than a week after January 24th, then you will have missed it and Hopefully you'll have a new episode to go and get a fresh link from. Otherwise, you can find me on social media and ask about it there. My Instagram is Anna with the comics because, hey, my name is Anna and I have a lot of comics. <laughs> my uh, Twitter and other social medias will also be linked in the description if you have interest in that. But Instagram is the one that, that I use the most. All right. So that gets all of that business out of the way. What have I been up to? Um, a lot of stuff. Uh, the break kind of started because I got bronchitis really bad. Um, it was it, not hospital bad, but just I had bronchitis and it was pretty miserable and my throat hurt all the time. Always a good time, right? Um, I had my job kind of for the holidays. I was, I'm, I work part-time-ish, um, and I, they kind of had me on a fuller time for a lot, and so I had less time to work on the podcast at all. And then I kind of had gotten a little bit burnt out with some of the comics that had been coming out and what was on my pull list, and so I made a lot of adjustments in my own personal reading uh, to make it a lot more friendly to myself and just based more in things that I'm actually interested in, what's actually good from my perspective, um, just, just getting back into finding the fun of, of reading and enjoying comics again, which is kind of might sound crazy to some people, but it, it does happen. Um, especially when I, you know, like me, like I have this, basically the second job that I put so much time into. Um, it does sometimes if I don't, if I don't have that, um, I, I guess connection, it, it does get a little bit hard, but anyway, um, we're back and, oh wait, but I'm not I'm talking about what I did. Um, I went to Portland, which was fun. I don't live there. I went for a visit. Um, it was my brother's hand fasting, which was really nice. Uh, we didn't make it to Powell's City of Books, which is the, uh, one of the biggest bookstores, uh, that I've ever seen. I don't know how it scales to other bookstores, but it's, awesome. If you've been there, you can attest to that. I have no doubt. Um, and we did make it, however, to Books with Pictures. Shout out to Books with Pictures in Portland, Oregon. They are really awesome. Um, if I remember, I will try to link their Instagram below. Uh, they do a lot of really cool stuff. They are woman-owned and queer-owned, and they have a lot of um, things they do for both of those communities and even more. So, really cool place. Um, they have probably some of the best variety of, uh, comic type materials that I've seen in a comic shop in a really long time. Um, I wish I had the names of a couple of the other places that we went. There was one place in a mall. Um, I'm sure if you live in Portland, you know, the mall, you know, the mall that's there. <laughs> But there was a bookstore in there that was, um, it was like a comic store kind of, but they had a ton of, uh, I guess they're zines. I always thought of them as zines because of the way it's spelled, but you know, the the zines, I, I assume that feels so weird to say it like that. Um, but 
they had a ton of those little creator, um, you know, printed sort of things. Really, really fun. I went into Powell's, sorry, Books with Pictures, looking for this really great zine uh, that I wanted to gift my sister-in-law, which was called Satanic Feminism. Bear with me here, okay? It's awesome. Um, I give it to as many people as I can as gifts. Um, I, I really do. I think I've bought six or seven copies of it at this point to gift to people, regardless of my own copy that I already have. But I went to Books with Pictures. I thought, oh, maybe they'd have it there. It's from Silver Sprocket, which is an excellent, excellent publishing company run out of uh, the Bay Area here in California. Um, and they didn't have it there. They didn't have the, the little zine scene at uh, Books with Pictures. But whatever that little shop was in the mall, they friggin' had it. <laughs> of all the things, they had so many little of those booklets, uh, those creator, you know, booklets. Uh, really great stuff. I wish I could have bought all of them and checked them out because that's how you get a lot of creators who break into comics and stuff that way. And that's how they start. And I love to support that. Um, and the satanic feminism zine, if you ever come across it, please read it. It is utterly phenomenal. But anyway, uh, that, that does wrap it up with my own news. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the stuff that matters now. Unfortunately, we do uh, start off with the obituary of Kevin Conroy here. Um, it's It's been a minute, so I'm sure you've heard all of everything that could have possibly been said about Kevin Conroy at this point. Um, but I'm still going to do this obituary because, let's be honest, he has earned it with the, what he's done in his life. Uh, Kevin Conroy, if you somehow do not know at this point, it was the voice of the animated Batman since 1991. Uh, due to the popularity of his performance as Batman from the DC official site, it says this, Conroy went on to voice the characters for multiple films under DC... Universe animated original movies banner and the critically acclaimed Batman Arkham and Injustice video games. They're very proud of Kevin Conroy there at DC. He played Bruce Wayne in the Crisis on Infinite Earths event at, on the CW, which I saw a little bit of and was super cool. It is the one time that he has played strictly Bruce Wayne and the only time that he has played um, a live-action Batman of any sort. Um, actually, was that character strictly Bruce Wayne? I guess he had a weird exoskeleton thing going on. It was really cool. I loved how they did that. Uh, he was also on that show. He was the uh, Batman of the show's Earth 99, which was the Batwoman shows. Uh, that's where they took place, the Batwoman show, which I don't think is a thing anymore. Uh, and in case you also didn't know it, Kevin Conroy was a queer man born to an Irish Catholic family in the 1950s. Um, it, within the past year, he wrote the really, really fantastic, uh, story Finding Batman in DC Comics's, uh, yeah, it was a 2022 Pride anthology, and that recounted his life ex and experiences as a gay man. He had only come out publicly in 2016 after making an effort to conceal his homosexuality throughout most of his career. He spoke in Finding Batman, that story about the discrimination he faced once potential collaborators and employers found out about his homosexuality. And that's something that much, if not most, of his fandom did not even know about uh, until fairly recently. 
He did start off with a full scholarship to attend Juilliard School's drama division. Um, I saw this somewhere and I was not able to confirm it, but apparently he roomed with Robin Williams, uh, but he was also friends with the great Kelsey Grammer. He worked in theater in the 80s, including Hamlet, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Lolita, and Eastern Standard. I have a quote here that says, He told the New York Times that, as a gay man living in New York in the time of the AIDS epidemic, he went to so many funerals that he felt such a sense of obligation to portray the characters of a TV producer secretly living with AIDS in Eastern Standard. After that, he went back to television, where he was on Search for Tomorrow, Dynasty, O'Hara, Tour of Duty, and guest starred in Cheers, Search for Tomorrow, Matlock, and Murphy Brown. For his animated voice acting, uh, a tally of, of Conroy's performances include every episode um, of the character in am animation and live action. He did portray the character... Uh, longer than anybody else has in history. So that starts with Batman, the animated series, which ran from 1992 to 1995. And it included the TV shows, The New Batman Adventures, Batman Beyond, and then which... Batman Beyond, he portrayed the elderly Bruce Wayne, retired from crime fighting. He also did Justice League, which started us off in the 2000s, and Justice League Unlimited, as well as the theatrical film Batman Mask of the Phantasm, applause, applause, and the direct-to-video films Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero, which was 1998, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker in the year 2000, and Batman Mystery of the Batwoman in 2003. He also voiced Batman uh, for guest appearances in the DC Animated Universe's Superman the Animated Series, Static, Static Shock, and the Zeta Project. He was in direct-to-DC universe animated original movies that included Batman Gotham Knight, Superman Batman Public Enemies, Superman Batman Apocalypse, Justice League Doom, Justice League The Flashpoint Paradox, Batman Assault on Arkham, Batman The Killing Joke, and Justice League vs. The Fatal Five. There's also a saying here that Mark Hamill, who was a frequent voice acting co-star as the Joker with Conroy's Batman, spoke highly of working with Conroy. Regarding his willingness to be involved in Bat-related projects, Hamill was quoted as to say, When they offer me roles now, I say, is Kevin doing it? I don't even need to read the script. If Kevin's doing it, I'll do it too. People who paid tribute to Kevin Conroy across the internet and... I'm sure other places include Mark Hamill, Kevin Smith, Ruby Rose, Troy Baker, Roger Craig Smith, Ron Perlman, Tara Strong, Mark Mercer, Steve Bloom, Nolan North, I can't do it in one breath, Andrea Romano, Clancy Brown, Paul Dini, George Takei, Linda Carter, James Gunn, and many, many more. Uh, and just in, a, in, in passing, I also wanted to mention... Um, there was also the passing, I didn't mean that to be a pun, my bad, of Christine McVie, who was uh, the Fleetwood Mac writer and one of the best friends of Stevie Nicks, as well as Jason David Frank from the Power Rangers. I was not particularly a Power Rangers fan. We never watched those shows growing up because, I don't know, we just didn't. Um, we watched PBS Kids, that's why. <laughs> which is equally weird, honestly, but, um, really sad, you know, he, he did commit suicide, and 
you know, he was going through a divorce, I think is what was happening in part. And, you know, we'll obviously never really know, but check in with your loved ones. You know, Kate Spade is another public figure. You know, people say some really awful stuff about her suicide, honestly. Um, but check in with your loved ones. You know, these are two very publicly loved people, you know, obviously Kate Spade was some time ago. That's just one that always comes back into my, into my mind when we go over these things. But, um, yeah, that's check in with your loved ones. You don't know what's going on with people unless you ask. I'm going to kind of brush through the news very lightly because it's been so much stuff. Um, just, I mean, it's strictly out of DC. I I guess is, is probably where it's mostly coming from. Um, First off, we have a couple of rumors, you know, there was the James Gunn, is he working on Kingdom Come thing? I don't think so. Um, I, I think he only posted that picture because it was a bunch of superheroes at a table working on something. I think that's all it was. The end. Um, there's a rumor that Blue Marvel is going to show up in the Marvels, which he is a kind of legendary romance of Monica Rambeau. So that would be kind of cool. And he's also just a really cool character. So um, hopefully he will show up in that movie. That would be pretty sick. Uh, other rumor is that Mary Elizabeth Winstead is possibly going to be playing. I think this one may have been confirmed, actually. You'll have to check me on that. She is going to be playing Hera on the Ahsoka live action TV show. We know Mary Elizabeth Winstead in the geek community from a number of things. She was in that great Netflix movie uh, where she's dying, I think, is actually what the plot is. <laughs> it's it's not like a sad, oh, she's dying into bed. She's like She's like a um, a hired killer or something. And she's trying to hunt down who poisoned her before she dies, something like that. Really cool movie. Great job in that. But we also know her from, of course, Huntress in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, which is a fantastic movie. Um, if you don't agree, I'm sorry, you're wrong. But, uh, yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, she's great. I'm sure she did some other things that we've all seen, but, uh, if she is going to be, if she is in fact going to be playing Hera on Ahsoka, Sounds good to me. Um, news. DC news. I guess we'll just go straight in for this. Um, Henry Cavill. Did you see Black Adam? He's in the trailer. He's in the, he's in the end credit scene. He's going to be back as Superman. Oh God. He made a post about it. He's back as Superman. They're doing it. They're doing it. Just kidding. He's out as Superman. <laughs> Um, was a that was that was a bit of a, a an event, a series of events that happened there, <laughs> and now they're going to be doing uh, Young Superman. My initial thought for that is, you know, obviously we've seen Smallville, right? Um, but whatever. <laughs> um, there's uh, mm, there's some rumors that Gunn has been uh, kind of tackling. It's very strange, random tweets that he seems to be addressing, and I think it's very telling which ones he's choosing, <laughs> because um, I think in the past he has addressed tweets that are, like, adjacent to the truth, and so he, like, calls them out as being false, but really it's only, like, partially false, you know? Um... You can check Twitter if you want to see that. I don't even follow him on Twitter anymore because it got really annoying. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, gosh. 
They really did just screw over Henry Cavill there, which was pretty bad. But but on the upspin for Cavill, you knew that wasn't going to be any time until we heard what he's doing next. And it was like a day or two. Warhammer, I believe he's producing it as well as playing the lead, which I think probably for him is the best option because if you have followed him for any amount of time on social media, you will recall the <laughs> pictures of him and his little hand-painted Warhammer figurines. Dude is a geek. I say that as myself. Um, it's kind of a compliment, but also, dude is a geek. Um, there's a lot of jokes about, you know, if the Black Adam movie gets canceled or whatever, uh, The Rock is going to come bursting into Henry Cavill's thing, screaming at him or whatever. That's how they got him to come back with The Rock bursting in with him, you know, working on his computers and painting his little Warhammer figures and got him to come back as Superman. It was a bunch of jokes about that. If you don't, if you didn't see, then you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but good for him. He's on the project that he has had uh, many, many years of passion for anyway. So that is excellent. He has kind of, it's probably better that he separate himself from that insanity anyway, because it's just been chaos, in my opinion, among the DC fans. And um, I wonder how much of, if any, of the fans' reactions to things are going to change anything, because they love to say it's not going to, and, and we love to pretend it didn't, but they got the Zack Snyder movie out. It obviously happened once, right? Um, but that's why we don't, that's why we don't, um, what is the word? <laughs> that's why you don't negotiate with terrorists. I'm not saying they're terrorists. On Twitter, mm, I think you could make an argument for that. Um, and there was some really crazy stuff going on with those Snyder bros after the whole James Gunn coming in and he did that really funny thing at first when he first showed up of like, that's what I mean about, like, it's very telling the tweets that he responds to, right? Because he responded to one of these Snyder people um, asking, you know, begging, whatever it was, for him to bring back Zack and, and you know, make his universe the way that he saw it originally. And he replied to one of those dudes originally and said, I hear you and we're listening. And they were like, holy shit, he's gonna do it! And then, like, two weeks later... First of all, Cavill gets kicked out, and then second of all, he makes like the broad, I think, statement of, "Yeah, no, us, uh, uh, we're never, we're never gonna do that. This, the Snyder stuff is done, so <laughs> he he got what he got, and it is over. And so that's what I mean. His tweets are very telling. It was a half truth. It was he he's listening, yes, and he's denying it. Is what was happening." <laughs> Uh, now they're all calling for uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran's firing, which is like, you know, standard, I think. I think James Gunn's name has been trending on Twitter for a long time. Honestly, Peter Safran, if that Peter, I think is his name, um, he's probably the smart one for not being on Twitter as much as James Gunn is. I don't know why James Gunn is on Twitter so much with the amount of BS that they've been throwing at him. Honestly, that everybody's kind of been throwing at him. He's not at all my favorite person or filmmaker, but good lord. <laughs> um, it, it is a little bit comical that people think that he's actually going to get fired. They probably paid him more money than they can afford to, um, you know, take back or, you know, um, that's not a deal they can break, I guess is what I'm saying. 
There was also, um, probably even crazier than trying to get James Gunn fired was the Snyder people who, for like two days, hardcore went on like a tweet rampage about Netflix by the Snyderverse and finish his movies. And they made graphics about it with the Netflix logo. Holy shit. Really wild that they seemed to genuinely think that that was something that ever would happen. Sure, Netflix had the Marvel stuff, but they had the Marvel stuff before the MCU started doing TV shows and those characters started becoming, you know, in their eye line again. And then, of course, the Netflix rights to it expired and they just didn't bother picking it back up. But Netflix would never, ever purchase the DC Trinity superhero rights from Warner Brothers. On the same on the same page, Warner Brothers would never ever let that happen. I mean, why are they gonna give their cash cow to somebody else? Snyder people be damned, um, that's their moneymaker right there. They are not gonna give that to somebody else. They're not gonna give even a portion of that to somebody else. They have zero financial reasons to give that even as a duplicate. Here you can have a separate universe and we'll keep our Trinity here. There is no reason for one for Warner to have any inclination to do that. I'm getting way too into this now of this pointing out how stupid that was. Um, and then I guess the last thing that's kind of relevant with the James Gunn stuff, obviously we all know that he gave his wife the job as the peacemaker lady because, um, you know, that's, she's got job security now and she's probably going to be the only one left of the current DC stuff. We all know that. Um, I'm not really sure where everything landed with, um, Aquaman and Lobo, <laughs> uh, which one of those, um, Jason Momoa, um, where, 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 I guess that's what's happening. I think he's dropped Aquaman for Lobo. It was like a whole thing. I, f I feel like every, every news site you looked at had a different story about it. So, um, I'll just wait until like, it's kind of more solidified. Oh yeah. And then Wonder Woman's most likely out. There's a lot of rumors about a new Wonder Woman having already been cast. I wouldn't, that would not surprise me in the slightest. Really, really upsetting just because um, wasn't it something that she tweeted how Gal Gadot tweeted how she was really excited to move forward with James Gunn and blah, blah, blah. And then it was like a day later that the news broke that, that they're already moving on to a different Wonder Woman. And that was one of those tweets that James Gunn addressed, specifically saying that some of it was true. Some of it wasn't. But once again, the things that he says in his tweets are sort of half-truths, and what he responds to is extremely telling. So pay attention to that if you really care about what the heck is going on with that. Um, but yeah, so he's basically just wiping the slate and keeping his wife and uh, Lobo. <laughs> um, if he even tries to do the, um, what was it? It was Romita? Was that right? Let me check. Ha, I was right. I'm talking about Superman Year One. It was John Romita Jr. with Frank Miller. Uh, Romita Jr., um, really great series. Phenomenal. It was from 2019. I think it was three magazine size issues. Um, 
really, really great, awesome look at Superman from a different kind of perspective, I guess. You know, it's Frank Miller, so. But that's right after Smallville. If you say Young Superman project that they're making, I think of this. And I do not think James Gunn could wrap his mind around that. Um, I don't know. Maybe he'll pull one out of the park and really surprise people who are familiar with his film style, which I'm not particularly a fan of at this point, uh, regardless of the, you know, fart and poop and cum jokes that he does way too much of, which is honestly nauseating. Uh, he has some other problematic stuff in his writing, which you can go back and find my, his Suicide Squad review, uh, wherever that, hey, that may be, and got a lot of problematic stuff in that, so I talk about that there. Uh, my point is, James Gunn is not a god, uh, he is also not Satan, so let's, let's keep ourselves in check here on Twitter. <laughs> um, that's about it for the news. I told you it was a lot of DCEU news. I am saving the MCU news for, I decided, the shows and movies stuff, because, uh, there's a lot of trailers attached to that, so we'll do that all in one bunch. If you're looking for MCU news, go to the shows and movies section. Which, actually, now that I think about it, we're gonna skip this week, aren't we? Yeah, sorry, we're skipping that this week. I just remembered that I had already mentioned that at the beginning of the episode. We're, we're, we're skipping the shows and movies in lieu of just covering the Black Panther Wakanda Forever, uh, movie, because it's been a minute and I need to do that. <laughs> All right, and that brings us into the manga and anime segment. I don't know why I'm saying that. Um, our spotlight manga of the week is where we're going to start, and the spotlight manga of the week, as I mentioned before, is Cat Plus Gamer, or Cat Gamer. You know, I recently only discovered that Spy Family is not Spy X Family. <clears throat> anyway, uh, Cat Gamer. I think it's Cat Plus Gamer. I really do. Cat Plus Gamer by Wataru Nadante. Sorry, Nadantani. Nadatani. There we go. Uh, really, really fun story. It is pretty much surrounding about uh, gaming tropes that occur in the raising of a kitten. Really, really funny stuff. You know, the most obvious one that does occur in volume one. There are two volumes out right now. Volume three in English is TBD, but there are eight total that we will be getting, hopefully, uh, all eight. But uh, the most obvious trope that was really hilarious to see played out in the manga was, you know, you're gaming, right? Because it's cat gamer, right? Um, and the cat sits on the game console with their paw really close to the power button. And so she's like, no, 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 Musubi. Musubi is the cat's name. No, 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 don't do it. And he does it. And she hadn't had a save point. You know, the, the whole frustrations and everything. And then, of course, all the cute stuff as well that comes with it. But the cat's name, she calls him Musubi. She being Rico, the main character. Um, I believe, uh, if I recall correctly, I just finished the second one about a month ago. Um, I believe she is just a kind of an office worker. She works in like programming or tech or something like that. Um, but it is super, super cute. Um, the cat is like a tuxedo kind of cat, I guess is what that is or reverse tuxedo. I don't know. I have no idea what you call cats coloring patterns. Um, I just have black cats. But anyway, there is no anime of this I would really, really love for there to be. Um, it kind of does remind me of Way of the House Husband in the way that it's kind of just like a silly little, um, it's, it's just a silly little story of a, uh, what are they, slice of life story? Yeah. Um, actually, slice of life comedy is, you know, if you go anywhere, that's what it is actually officially categorized as, um, 
I think if you have any interest in cat stories or if you are a gamer who is also a cat owner or just a gamer, I feel like you would get a lot from this because it is really adorable and it is really funny. Um, it's by, as I said, Wataru Nadatani. Nadatani. I did say that right. Nice. Um, who has written at least three other projects. Um, one is... I don't think they have been translated into English. I don't think so. Uh, Nekotake is a high school boy tries to understand the ways of cats from the neighborhood cat whisperer. You have a Midgard no Shugasha or no Shugosha. I know I'm butchering these. Don't laugh or laugh. I don't care. A young knight from a destitute noble family tries to live up to the code of chivalry. And then their first one was... Kurenai no Kishi Rockwell, which says, in this North Norse mythology, humanity's world of Midgard is caught up in a war between two of the powerful divine races, the Jodan and the Aesir. Sounds fun. Uh, but yeah, so that is Cat Gamer and the creator and some of the characters. There's other characters who pass in and out, like her office workers. Um, I want to say she's got a sister, but I honestly... I'm not sure if I'm thinking of the right thing now, but it's it's absolutely adorable. Um, there's only two volumes out in English. Uh, the first, the second volume was released just in August. Again, volume three is is it's coming from Dark Horse, so it, it should be coming still, but it's kind of TBD. Um, as soon as I figure out when that is, I will let you know because I really really recommend this. Um, super fun to read. Now, manga release info for the year of 2023. I will be working on um, expanding the manga part of my manga and anime sections of my website, sensationalshigeek.weebly.com, um, and that's going to include the otakucalendar.com, which has a lot of the manga and light novels and things, as uh, all release dates, um, as well as Anime Collective. They have a bunch of new manga and anime as well on their calendar. Um, but notable manga uh, books that are going to be coming out, um, things that sound interesting to myself, at least. Uh, if you read My Dress of Darling, the seventh volume is coming out soon, February 2nd. Uh, volume 8 will be March 14th, volume 9, June 20th, and volume 10, September 19th. Um, and if you were wondering, I believe it is Tuesday is new manga release days. Tuesdays. I know Wednesdays are new comic book days. Aside from DC, they're weird. Tuesday is new manga days. Uh, Raven of the Inner Palace is an anime that I have really, really been enjoying. The light novel comes out in volume one in English on Valentine's Day of this year, which is also my wedding anniversary. We'll cover that some other day. You don't need to hear that story right now. Uh, the Great Jahi will not be defeated. Volume 6 is coming out June 13th, and, uh, oh, sorry, Volume 5 is coming out April 11th, and then Volume 6 is June 13th. Uh, Wotakoi is one that I have already done, I believe I have already done a uh, spotlight on? I'll have to check that, actually, I'm not sure. Um, that is getting a box set that's being released, and I highly recommend that. February 7th, uh, and then they're also getting an art book, which I already have on pre-order, coming out May 23rd. Kaiju number 8, volume 5, comes out, well, has already come out January 10th. Uh, Spy Family, volume 10, English, March 21st. Jujutsu Kaisen, volume 19, March 21st. My Hero Academia, volume 33, good lord. February 7th. I don't actually read that. That's, wow. I That's too much. 
Comey Can't Communicate, Volume 23, on Valentine's Day as well. Night of the Living Cats, Volume 2, is already out. Actually, I already have that. I just need to catch up. Way of the House Husband, Volume 9, February 21st. And then Curse of the Princess Club came out on the 2nd, and then the Volume 2 will come out July 4th. I want to track that one down. As far as anime stuff, um, there is a lot of new anime premiering now as the, I believe they call it the winter lineup for Crunchyroll. Really awesome, um, If you're especially if you don't mind the subs, the subtitles, as opposed to having it dubbed in English. Um, there is a ton of new subtitled anime coming up um, all week. It looks it's it's a really good lineup. Um, there's a couple that have um, there's a couple that have subtitles, which is kind of what I prefer. Uh, one being Tomo-chan is a girl, which comes out on Wednesdays on Crunchyroll, and I am absolutely in love with it. Somehow, it's coming out concurrently in English. Um, and in Japanese. It's, it's very strange. Usually there's a gap uh, between when they're getting it out. But yeah, go ahead, check out. Um, I imagine Crunchyroll is kind of like the place to check things out. Um, I, it's the only place I know of. <laughs> um, but check it out and see if there's anything interesting you in the anime of winter 2023. Now, for our introduction to tarot, this is going to be a segment we're going to be keeping up with for as long as I can keep up with it. Um, I have a couple of links that um, any non-spiritual tarot practicers or any non-spiritual listeners, um, if you want to still understand people, other people who kind of explained it, um, I have some links that I'll put below uh, Reddit and Atlas Obscure and stuff. Um, but for me, the non-metaphysical way of reading the cards, obviously we'll talk about the symbolism and everything, which is basically goes into that as well. Um, but you don't have to be sitting here shuffling the deck and being like, I'm waiting for a sign or, um, oh, this means, you know, this, you don't have to be looking at it like astrology or anything like that. Um, it, it really doesn't have to be metaphysical or spiritual in any way. Um, Tarot really can be for everyone. Um, and let me explain that. Really, as, as a very logical person myself, I struggle a lot with spirituality in any sense for the most part. Um, anything that I do is very nature-based because that's physical and literal and you can see it and watch it happen and change and grow. Anything beyond that, I have a lot of I, I struggle a lot with, um, but so that so the non-spiritual ways of kind of looking at it is what is more or less what I do. And so what you have here is you have a deck of tarot cards. What you come in the deck is seventy-eight cards traditionally, um, major arcana, minor arcana. We'll get into that in a second. But you have seventy-eight different ways of looking at a scenario in your hands there. Um, any single card that you pull is going to be different, probably drastically, than the next one that you pull, if you've, you know, shuffled correctly and everything. Um, the symbols and the messages, they aren't spiritual. They, they don't have to be at all. They can be just a different way of considering your query or your you're pondering or whatever it is that's happening that you are shuffling the cards and looking at them for, you have 78 different ways to check that out. 
Um, and that's really what kind of what, what I really love about it is that um, it, I, I, you get a lot of inspiration and a lot of, oh, I didn't think about it that way, or um, maybe I should try this, or what if um, I do this a different way or something like that, you know? It, it's, it doesn't have to, I can't stress it enough, it does not have to be spiritual. You don't have to be any kind of woo-woo, um, sage burning anything. And I say that as somebody who has burnt sage, you know, it's completely re rooted in realism and in tropes and things that are 100% just human, the human condition, right? Okay. So now that we've covered that, uh, what's the difference between tarot decks and oracle decks? Well, the tarot deck, uh, tarot decks are 78 cards that are based on, uh, the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot, which is actually itself based on, let me think, uh, it's the Tarot of Marseilles. It's a Italian, it's an Italian tarot that was, uh, came from France in the 17th and 18th centuries. And I, the very, very minor bit of uh, research on the origins, the true origins of tarot, uh, that's kind of what I've come up with. This, that is the original. The writer Waite Smith was sort of a English modernized, uh, you know, at that point, take on the Marseille tarot. Because if you were to compare them, they are not very different. Um, and the people who created them, Ryder Waite Smith, I like to make sure that I add that Smith in at the end because she was the only female on the project and she was also the designer of the cards, the artist. Uh, and so people forget to add her Smith there in at the end, but it is very important. So, um, Oracle decks, on the other hand, Oracle decks are cards with whatever basically the creator wanted to put on them, whatever messages they are not um, tied to any kind of set of 78 or anything like that, the way that the or tarot decks are. Oracle decks are just whatever message the creator wanted to put on them. Which again can be all used in the same way that tarot decks can. So for the 78 cards of a tarot deck, you have the major and the minor arcana. Uh, the minor arcana is what we'll kind of start with. It is um, the major arcana is 21 cards, which we're going to go over a card per week, starting in probably the next episode. We'll see how far along I get. Uh, the minor arcana are made up of four suits. So those remaining, what is that? Um, 50, whatever the math is backwards. I'm honestly not awake enough right now for it. Um, the, the suits are made up of going one through 10, plus they include a page, knight, king, and a queen. So very similar to a deck of cards, right? And the different suits that the, the four suits that they come in traditionally are something along the lines of wands, knives, coins, and cups. For wands, other names that they can come by is staves and sticks. For knives, also swords or needles, um, something like that. For coins, sometimes called pentacles or discs, often even plates. And then for cups, you can goblets, chalices, bowls, anything kind of cup-like. Um, can be used in that way. And that is all, that's all up to the creator of the tarot deck. You can customize tarot decks amazingly, um, just as much as you really can with Oracle decks, in my opinion. So that's where we're going to start today. That's, that's our beginning lesson is you have a major arcana of 21 cards, which we'll cover, uh, starting in the next episode, what those 21 cards are. 
And then we have the Minor Arcana, which is made up of four suits going one through ten, page, knight, queen, and king. Traditionally, something along the lines of wands, knives, coins, and cups. Now, as I said, tarot and oracle decks are extremely customizable. I have here in front of me, just because I'm sitting at my desk and this is what's around me, in front of me is the Modern Witch Tarot deck. I have the uh, Metaphysical deck. I can't say that word on here. Uh, I have the Anime Tarot, which, by the way, is the one that I will be using when we go over um, the different cards, because that is the one that, it may sound hilarious, Anime Tarot, but honest to God, that is the one that I have had the easiest time learning the meaning behind the cards and the symbolism, which is all very interesting. Um, I really like, I, it's it's so cool that I want to get into it right now, but we have other things we're doing. So we'll, we'll start looking at the anime tarot next week when we look at the major arcana. Um, so, so, so here, here are some of the uh, very highly customized and themed tarot and oracle decks that are going to be coming out in 2023 that I have looked up and am very excited for. So we have the, uh, let's see, Midnight Magic, which is a tarot of a tarot deck of mushrooms by Sarah Richard, Tarot of the Owls by Pamela Chen and Elizabeth Alba, African Gods Oracle, Magic and Spells of the Orishas, The Citadel Oracle by Fez Inkwright, who is a creator who I have also the Seed and Sickle Oracle deck from, and they are fantastic. Uh, true artistry. Then there is The Secrets of Paradise Tarot, an 81-card deck and guidebook inspired by Caribbean or Caribbean and Latin American culture and mysticism, The Sacred Feminine Oracle, and The Marseillaise vintage oracle sorry vintage tarot um that one i think i am very interested in because i don't have a strictly marseille themed deck most decks go off of they say the rider waite smith tarot in my opinion which is just based off of the marseille tarot so i'm really excited to get this one and and honestly see the inter the differences um there's also a good amount of journaling options and coloring books for um, anybody who is interested in working on tarot in any way like that. There's lots of tarot-themed ones. And um, if I could recommend one company, one publisher, for you to check out if you are interested in these kinds of, um, uh, let's say, collectibles and books and whatnot, because they do publish books as well, Liminal Eleven. They uh, publish out of England, I believe, but they do all kinds of things, and I'm Every, every time I order something from them, I'm just consistently impressed. Um, so I, I highly recommend if you want to um, find a... There also uh, there's a lot of problematic printing presses. <laughs> it might seem, seem sad, but um, in, in this kind of community, uh, one of which is Llewellyn, who is an extremely broad publisher, so it's really hard to avoid them. Uh, but they, as a corporate entity, are a little bit evil, um, and so I try to avoid them as much as possible. All that being said, I probably own four Llewellyn decks just because they have their little fingers and everything. Um, but I can I can recommend Liminal Eleven as a quality, good company um, that you can buy from if that's at all what you're looking for. And now, comic books. You can hear I'm already starting to lose my voice. <coughs> it doesn't help that the bronchitis has not fully left my system. I still have really phlegmy lungs, which I'm sure you might be able to hear occasionally in the mic, and I apologize for that. I'm trying to 
not mess it up. <laughs> so we're going to cover some comic books here. This first segment of the comic books is going to cover best of 2022 and a 2022 kind of summary wrap up. So I'm going to list out some best of 2022 things that may end up on a proper uh, blog post on my website at some point. But for now, we're going to just go through the list. 8 Billion Genies, Barbaric, Captain Marvel really stood out this year, Peach Promoko's Demon Days, I Am Batman, Something is Killing the Children, I don't read that, my husband does, Immortal X-Men, Seven Sons, Harley Quinn at the end of the year, I would say, The Comeback of Saga, Monstrous, Human Target, Poison Ivy has been great by G. Willow Wilson, Patsy Walker's Hand and Iron Man was the only reason I gave a shit about that whole series. Uh, Catwoman Lonely City, really stupendous, magazine-sized. Not All Robots, I didn't finish it, but I hella want to. Grimm, really great. Stephanie Phillips has become really top tier on my list of favorite writers. Wonder Woman Historia, no doubt. Public Domain by Chip Sarsky, Step by Bloody Step, The Good Asian, and of course, Women of Marvel, because we have to take wh where we can get it. I guess, as women. <sighs> Big sigh. Um, our 2022 wrap-up. What happened at the end of the year, Anna? Well, here's pretty much it. We had the end of DC Vampires, although I think there's still a spin-off series going. We had the start of Photon, the end of Dark Crisis, the start of Dark Web. Uh, we met the Harley Who Laughs. Jenny Frizen started her Harley, Harley Quinn variant cover run, which I am excited as heck for. Timeless 2022 came out, and it was very meh, to be honest. Blue Beetle Graduation Day started. People really loved that. We finally had the wrap-up of Wonder Woman Historia with issue three from, really, some great, great creators. We got Tales from Earth-6, the remembering Stan Lee at DC Comics. We had the Jon Stewart Emerald Knight one-shot. Tigra shows up in Moon Knight. Sorry, Tigra shows up in Moon Knight. Danger Street by Tom King kicked off with two issues now. Vampirella vs. Red Sonia started, and it is fantastic. So did Mary Jane and Black Cat, and it's pretty decent. Deadpool has a new female Asian writer. Just Society of America has returned, and so has Gargoyles, which I think is at Dynamite. Now, that was the start of the year, or the end of last year. Now let's cover uh, a little bit of a preview, very light in the same format of a, of a big, long, wide little list. Um, the 2023 preview. I feel like I've lost my mind a little bit. Is that just me? It's the new year, what can I say? So coming this year, some of which has already started to come out, Wasp number one, Scarlet Witch has her solo series. We get the Women of Marvel 2023 special because why would they give us more than one issue? The End of Strange has actually already happened. We are getting It's Jeff in a single issue collection, which is quite exciting. X-23 is starring in Deadly Regenesis, which thank God is a flashback series because that is now... Laura. <laughs> Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants comes either in February or March. Clea will be co-starring, apparently somewhat, in the new Doctor Strange. It starts also in March. John Kent is doing The Adventures of Superman. Superman Lost is also a thing that is happening. Hellcat is getting a five-issue series that I could not be more excited for unless you had a female writer. Cosmic Ghost Writer by Stephanie Phillips is kicking off at Marvel, and you bet I am reading that. What did I just say about Stephanie Phillips? She is top tier on my list of writers now. She's up there with, like, Tom King as people who I really love, although Tom King has gotten it quite problematic for reasons we won't talk about now. Unstoppable Doom Patrol is, is, is 
starting. <laughs> uh, Legion of Bloom is coming as a one-shot in spring, I believe. Rogue and Gambit get a series. It's a short series, but it's a series. We have Immoral X-Men, which is going to start because of this weird sinister stuff. Hallow's Eve, she is getting her series as well for some reason. Uh, Clobber in Time is going to be the Ben Grimm series. Betsy Braddock is getting the Captain Britain series, and we love it. We also have Waller vs. Wildstorm, X-Men Unforgiven, Spider-Man Unforgiven. I don't know what the Unforgiven thing is. Somebody has to fill me in on that. Uh, DC Ruby is happening once again. So is Avengers Beyond. She-Hulk is hitting Legacy 125, and Carol will hopefully make it to 50 issues and... Uh, fingers crossed beyond that because 50 is as far as she has ever gotten in her own solo series and it just feels like a very a very marvel thing to do to cancel that uh either right before or as it hits 50 and reboot the series am i wrong that just feels like something that they're gonna try and pull <laughs> kelly thompson's been on an upswing with it i really hope they don't and that leaves us with Free Comic Book Day 2023. Free Comic Book Day is the first Saturday in May, which this year is May 6th, the day before my husband's birthday. Yay! Um, and that's really awesome because I will I will think I'll get the day off. Anyway, um, what Free Comic Book Day is really is it is something that the comic community comes together for and publishers and everything to kind of highlight and spotlight and celebrate your local comic book shops. Um, the publishers give out a booty load of these special edition comics uh, for free. Uh, the comic book shops get them. I don't know if they're free to the comic book shops, but they get them, and they're free to the customers. Uh, the whole idea being that when the customer goes to the shop for free comic book day, the shop will have highlighting all of their best things in the store uh, for you to spend your grubby little mitts on to get your government little mitts on. Um, and that's the whole idea behind Free Comic Book Day, really, is it's really to support, it's it's meant to support the com local comic book shops. Um, the only way to actually have that be supporting the local comic book shops, though, the thing is, you have to actually buy stuff, too. So if you're planning on showing up on Free Comic Book Day, please, 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 don't just show up for the free comics, because <laughs> that's not going to help in your shop at all. <laughs> um buy some stuff, check it out, talk to your comic people, see what they have to say, you know, at least follow them on Instagram or something, you know. Um, but we'll talk more about the titles for Free Comic Book Day when we get there and what they're actually going to be about, because all we really have right now is just the titles and not really the descriptions. So we're going to go through, there's going to be an Animal Castle issue, Mech Cadets, the Umbrella Academy and The Witcher under Dark Horse, uh, She-Devil with a Sword from Dynamite, The Sacrificers by Rick Remender, Dawn of DC, whatever the heck that's going to finally play out to be, if anything, Avengers and X-Men, Marvel's Voices, Amazing Spider-Man, Venom, Frazettaverse number zero, which sounds really awesome, IDW's Trek, uh, there's going to be a graphic bio of Stan Lee, which I just have a feeling is not going to hit it on the head. RuneScape, uh, Night Before Nightmare Before Christmas with Tokyo Pop, which sounds cool. Street Fighter Number Zero, and then Shadow Man and Exo Manowar. Those are the bulk of the titles, and we'll get the descriptions and whatnot when we get closer to May, because it's heckin' January. 
All right, so now we have made it to new comics this week. This week being for DC Comics 24th, which, yes, is today, and the 25th for everything else tomorrow. Um, and then we're going to cover February stuff on the next episode, which is going to be happening uh, on probably the 31st of January. We'll cover what's what to look forward to in February. But this is the last week of January, so here's the last week of January comic releases. A couple of highlights that I pulled up front. Uh, Jenny Frizen, Harley Quinn covers our in full bloom. Uh, Power Girl Story is continuing in Action Comics 1051. We have, once again, the return of Saga and Monstrous coinciding. We love to see it. Thor continues with a new writer. Uh, she started on the previous issue, 29. Uh, Donny Cates' whole writing career just kind of went out with a bang and a whimper, didn't it? <laughs> Somebody's going to hate me for that. Um, and then we have Sins of Sinister. I just remember him being like the thing, the new thing in comics, and now it's Donny Cates who? <laughs> Sins of Sinister is starring this week. Uh, Lazarus Planet and Dark Web are continuing. So, some fun things that are coming out. Uh, we're doing these alphabetically because that's just how I felt like doing it. Action Comics 1051, featuring Power Girl Story by Leia Williams and Marguerite Savage, is the reason that I will be reading it. But if you really want to know, I do have the solicitation for this one because there's like three or four different stories in this issue. It says Action Comics Reborn. They always say stuff like that. A uh, new format of blah, 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 not two, three, I think Adventures of Superman and the Superman family. Okay, so following the bombshell events is 1050. I didn't read that one. Relationship with Superman. Okay, I probably should because it says the world's relationship with Superman is forever changed. Over limits of his super... Okay, yeah, he got new powers on the world world arc. Gotcha. Uh, House of Elves transformation of Metropolis led by Steel has begun. Cool. But Lex Luthor has found the perfect instrument of which to undo everything Superman is working for. Metallo. Not so cool, blah, blah, blah. Him and Lois, uh, Doom Rising by Dan Jurgens and Lee Weeks. Uh, that's going to be, the, oh, that's the story that I saw the little image of this morning where you see what Lois and Clark are doing, keeping the war world Superman suit. You can use your imagination, honestly. It's really funny. And then finally, we have the Power Girl story, which I am here for. Moving on, we have Batman, One Bad Day, Catwoman, number one. It's only going to be a one-shot. That is going to be by G. Willow Wilson and Jamie McKelvey. We have Tradmore's... Is it Tradmore or Travis? Yes, Tradmore. Doctor Strange, False Sunrise, number three of, I believe, four. His style is impeccable. Um, I have not actually read the first issues of this. I'm super behind. I'm, it's one of the ones I'm still catching up on. But... I'm super excited because he also wrote Silver Surfer Black, and good lord, that was hella cool. I gotta stop using weird 2005 phrases. Uh, Harley Quinn number 26, the Harleyverse versus Harley Who Laughs continues with a Jenny Frizen variant cover that I would like two of, please. The Human Target number 11 of 12 comes from Tom King, as well as, not from Tom King, Justice Society of America number 2, The Last Line number 2, and for Lazarus Planet, we're getting Once We Were Gods as a one-shot. We'll talk more about Lazarus Planet when we get into the recent reads rundown. We're also, we're also getting Monstrous number 42 by Sana Takeda and Marjorie Liu. Saga number 61, Samurai Doggy number 3, Sins of Sinister number 1, which seems to be filling in for Immortal X-Men uh, until whenever. 
but I know Immoral also starts in February. Thor number 30 by Torun Grombeck, who hopefully will retain the reins for a good while. And then we have Vineyard number three, which I swear has been pushed back two months now. And Exterminators number five, the finale, by the illustrious booty artist Carlos Gomez and Leah Williams, who also has gained a lot of respect from me as a reader um, very recently. And she's kind of up there on the list of writers who I will read mostly anything from as well recently. And that brings us into our no doubt longest segment of this episode, which is the recent reads catch up. Um, we're going to be covering a, a lot of stuff here. I'm just going to cover, I'm going to go over what we're covering in order real briefly, um, just so you can get a kind of image of what I'm going to be talking about. We're going to cover the end of Judgment Day and Dark Crisis. Uh, we're going to cover Dark Web and Lazarus Planet, the story thus far. Briefly, the new Fantastic Four, number one, because I have not read the others because I did not like it. Uh, Poison Ivy, seven and eight, Photon, one and two, Harley Quinn, 23, four and five, Radiant Pink, one, because I haven't read two yet, Red Sonia, Hell Sonia, Hexware, one and two, Dark Knights of Steel, number nine, Purgatory Must Die, number one, Wasp, number one, Grimm, six and seven, Exterminators, three and four. Earth Divers, uh, one through three, Vampirella versus Red Sonia, one through three, which I think is the longest I have anything about. I really liked that one. Tales from Earth Six, uh, which is just the Wonder Woman story in that one, to be honest. Wonder Woman Historia number three, which I don't say much about because y y you just gotta read it, man. Mostly number one, Two Graves, one through three, Traveling to Mars, one and two, and then Specs, She-Hulk, eight and nine, Strange, eight through ten, Captain Marvel, 44 and five, and then Demon Wars, Shield of Justice. This last couple of ones I did not do write-ups on, so it's probably gonna be a lot of me saying, um, yeah. So starting off with the Judgment Day ending, and the, as well as Dark Crisis, this is going to be a real quick wrap-up of these two events. Um, it ended with Judgment Day Omega, where the Eternals um, basically decided that they will uh, act as heroes on Earth in penance for taking human lives every time they die, I think is what it ended up as. Uh, and the the Earth, the machine that was Earth got rebooted or whatever, and it ends the thing with, it says, no glitch remains, and then there's a winky face, so, you know, dun-dun-dun, or whatever. Dark Crisis, the ending, the event ended uh, kind of just with being uh, versus Deathstroke, of all people, so that was kind of disappointing, because I don't... Okay. Uh, and then now the universe is endless again. So cool. That's the end of Dark Crisis. Dark Web over at Marvel, I have very little respect for. I started reading Dark Web number one and I could not finish it. It was really bad. Um, I've heard a little bit about the other issues from Spider-Man and whatnot uh, from my husband and uh, what little I've seen of it is real bad. Uh, it seems, it seems that Zeb Wells has a really wrong idea of the character of Madeline Pryor as well as the character's of the female gender. Um, there was this whole interaction with her and Hallow's Eve, uh, Madeline and Hallow's Eve, where they're like, where Howells is like trying to, whatever the heck her name is, she's trying to, you know, tell Maddie to back off her man. And what? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it was just really bad. Um, and then I, I stopped reading uh, Dark Web number one when Maddie started playing um, an organ and making magic and stuff. Madeline doesn't do magic. I'm sorry, what? 
Madeline is not a witch. What? She's an she's a mutant. Like did 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 Zeb Wells just completely guess who Madeline Pryor, the Goblin Queen, is? She doesn't do spells. And for some reason he has her doing a spell. Just really, really bad. I didn't even finish Dark Web number one. Um, it really just seems like it was a lot of marvelous artists um, and characters really put to waste. Um, the, the stuff that wasn't so bad, my cat is being chaotic here. Hang on. Okay, so the, the rest of Dark Web that I've read, I read uh, the Ms. Marvel 1 and 2 tie-ins. Uh, Kamala comes into it because she has a shiny new Oscorp internship. Uh, doing science next to a hottie, I guess, is the whole thing. I didn't really read too much of it. I was skimming it to see what the general idea was. Of course, their lab machinery and materials all turns into demons. Uh, Chasm binds her into limbo. The inventors join the fight against Kamala. I think I wrote that wrong. Uh, Miles shows up to help. Oh, no, it does. It is against Kamala. I was right. Miles shows up to help, and then the mosque turns into a demon with issues, and then it's all okay. Um, no Madeline in that one. That was really what I was looking for when I was reading it. Uh, Mary Jane and Black Cat, number one and two, are also tie-ins to Dark Web. Uh, so Felicia goes to MJ to keep her safe during this limbo invasion. Um, MJ apparently has powers, and issue number one ends with them meeting Belasco in limbo. We see in issue two that Belasco wants the girls to find his soul sword, which they do give, as far as I know, new mythology for Belasco and Limbo, which was pretty cool to see. Um, it's either new or it's very old. <laughs> um, and then they bring up a team called Heaven's Devils, which I would love to see very much expanded upon because uh, they are from heaven, you know, H-E-V-E-N, the 10th realm, which has now been cut off from the nine realms again because of reasons. But um they're they're angels, right? They're that's the whole thing in the tenth realm of heaven. They're angels and they're hunters and they're all female, basically. Um, but what it says here is that they're interdimensional hunters looking to heal their fractured realm. I would love to see more about that. I was very, um, I was very into the whole like Angela came from heaven because they stole her away as a baby and but she's really of Asgard. Like they they. There was that stupid thing that one guy said, um, who was like a Marvel editor or something, was like, oh yeah, we don't know what to do with Angela. You, how do you not know what to... But anyway, uh, she, she was in heaven, and I just got really excited that that team was brought up at all, because that's new in kind of an Angela-adjacent mythology, and I would love to see that expanded on. Um, it's also a really funny thing that Belasco says. It says, ever has the destiny of Limbo been decided by Earth Girls? obviously a reference to magic, you know, Ileana Rasputin. Uh, so the two of them, they end up searching the tower with a compass made from a piece of Belasco's soul, and the end of issue two ends with Sim the Demon showing up, who, if you have read anything New Mutants, you will definitely know who that is. Honestly, if you've read anything X-Men, you probably will. And then I read Dark Web X-Men number three. Um, I ignored the first two. I didn't even bother reading them. I don't, I don't care. You, you can't make me care. Three is the important one. Three is the only issue that was good out of Dark Web so far. Slaps hand on table. Um, basically, Madeline and Jean are fighting, and um, through events, Jean says that she gives up, and the two of them end up talking, so they have a little talk, and finally Madeline is able to communicate that she is distraught from her child 
Well, from Scott, really, um, pardon my French, but fucking her the fuck over. Uh, she gives birth to their child on the kitchen floor. He does not show up for two weeks to come and see his child because he's busy off with the X-Men. Uh, kind of, sort of, because not even the X-Men knew where he was. What was Scott doing? Um, anyway, that's an unrelated sort of question. Madeline is able to communicate all of this to Jean, and so Jean gives her the memories as Madeline requested, of baby Nathan, her child, that uh, Jean has memories of the time that she and Scott had with him before they had to send him to the future because of the techno-organic virus. Um, and that's really what Madeline wanted, because uh, Jean does not lose anything by sharing those memories, especially with his birth mother, as should be her right, because it is Madeline who is Nathan's mother. It is not Jean. I get real lit up about this one, guys. Madeline gave birth to baby Nathan. She is his mother. She was pregnant. She had to have sex with Scott. <laughs> Scott is trash. I'm sorry. All I am, all my friends and I hate Scott. Um, if you want to know why I hate Scott, I have an entire podcast special that I did about Madeline Pryor that was Justice for Madeline Pryor. Um, from the May special in 2022. I'm going to have that linked in the description below. I highly, highly, highly recommend you check out at least the text version of it, which I also have linked the blog post. Um, and you can, you can just read through that. If you don't want to do either of those, take two hours from your week and read Madeline's entire reading appearance summary, which I also have on my website. That's all it takes to read. And then you will know every detail you need to know about Madeline Pryor. Um, and why I get so lit up about her and how lit up about people mistreating her, I guess. Um, but that's why I, I, um, I got a little bit emotional at the end of this issue. <laughs> I almost hate to say it, uh, because Jean pulls up the, um, you know, the, like the temporal microphone or whatever, and has Maddie do the, to me, my X-Men, to all the X-Men. And I, I, yeah, I got, I got a little emotional there because these goddamn writers have forgotten for years now. Madeline friggin' Pryor was, she was an X-Men before she had any kind of knowledge of power. She was an X-Men before she was a villain. She was an X-Men before Scott screwed her over. She was an X-Men before she knew who she was, basically. Um, and she was, an, not only that, she was an integral part of the X-Men. She was a close friend to Forge to the point that she sacrificed herself along with all the other X-Men when they did that weird thing to save the world. Um, you know, she was on the Outback team. She was there with them in Australia. So having her be able to do the basically settle there and yeah all it took was a conversation but nobody had even given her that room before okay have all of that more or less settled at least with gene it's never going to be settled with scott because he is an actual villain um <laughs> for what he did yes he will never be able to make up for that to have her be able to do the to me my x-men full power cry out to the x-men as for backup that that was that was a nice, that was a nice moment as a, as a very hardcore Madeline fan. Uh, the end of Dark Web is on the horizon. The last few things that are coming out is Venom 15, ASM 18, Venom 16, and finally Dark Web Finale, which is the only one that I'm going to be reading out of that group. Uh, because this is kind of a bum event, isn't it? I don't know about you, but it is, it is a bit bum. 
And so that leads us to the DC event that's currently happening, Lazarus Planet. I'm going to go over this wonderful summary of events leading up to Lazarus Planet. Um, hopefully it will make sense if you are reading or catching up on World's Finest, Robin, Monkey Prince, Batman vs. Robin, or uh, anything Lazarus Planet like that. This will be spoiling some of that, if not all of that. So here goes the summary leading up to Lazarus Planet, because I was quite confused until I read this. The first arc of Mark Wade's World's Finest book introduced the most powerful Chinese devil, Nezha, or a, the powerful Chinese devil, Nezha. The story took place during Dick's days as Robin. The arc ended with Superman, Batman, Robin, and Supergirl and the Doom Patrol managing to imprison Nezha back in his tomb on an island. In Robin 2021 by Joshua Williamson, Damian Wayne took part in a fighting tournament on Lazarus Island organized by Mother Soul, who turns out to be Ra's al Ghul's mother and Damian's great-grandmother. Damian and the other fighters manage to stop her plans by killing her Lazarus demon. She tries to ally herself with another demon, Nezha, whose tomb is on Lazarus Island. She tricks Damian into opening his tomb, and Nezha possesses Damian to take revenge on Batman for helping with his imprisonment those years ago in World's Finest. In Monkey Prince by Jean Luen Yang, Marcus' son, aka the Monkey Prince, son of the Monkey King, has to face several demons who later turn out to work for the demon King Firebowl, who is Nezha's son. Batman vs. Robin by Mark Wade deals with a possessed Damian Wayne trying to kill his father, Bruce Wayne, while Bruce tries to free him from Nezha's possession. In the third issue, Bruce reaches Lazarus Island, and he will probably reach Nezha and Damian next issue, but it's not out when this person was writing this summary. Nessa wants to possess all of humanity to use them as an army against his feared son, King Firebowl. From the solicitations and already released previews of Lazarus Planet Alpha, we know that Mother Soul and Nessa charged Lazarus Island with magical energy and that the arrival of King Firebowl will cause the volcano on the island to explode and spew its magical, magical chemicals into the atmosphere, which will transform everyone on the planet who comes into contact with it. Lazarus Planet will be mostly one-shots about how those transformations will affect those heroes and villains. Lazarus Planet Alpha and Omega will probably deal with those defeating Nessa and King Firebowl. Batman vs. Robin 5 will take place after the main event, and hopefully end the estrangement storyline with Batman and Damien. Uh, apparently it's been going on for four years. Well, I, I guess that was after Alfred, yeah. DC also just announced a Lazarus Planet spinoff for Shazam and Wonder Woman called Lazarus Planet Revenge on the Gods. Okay, so that's the end of their summary. They did reference Lazarus Planet Alpha in this, and that's going to be the first one that we cover here. So, Lazarus Planet Alpha, the cast of this issue, we have Robin, Damien, Batman, Talia, Talia Al-Ghul, Black Alice, and then we have Supergirl, Zaytana, Blue Beagle, Cyborg, Mary Marvel, Monkey King, Power Girl, did I put that in twice? No. And Blue Devil, who is just some guy, you know, he's some character. They are going up against the ancient evil, King Farbel, who is the son of Nezha, now we know from that summary. Uh, he, has, he casts the magical green storms to wreak havoc across the planet, with included effects being draining Kryptonian powers and causing magic to behave chaotically. So that causes issues for any of the supers, as well as Zaytana. These storms are possibly due to Nessa draining all magic from 
uh, not possibly due, they are due to Nessa draining all magic from magical items across the world and applying it into one place. To stop it, half the group will go to the Tower of Fate and try to plug the drain. The other half of the group is looking to find Nessa himself and make him an ally before the King Firebolt kills him, which is his son, because he wants power. The group at the tower face off against Silver Horn King, placed there to guard uh, the King Firebull's works. Mary Marvel breaks down the tower by yelling Shazam and kind of taking it out with her as she depowers. Coming out of the tower are a bunch of previously captured Silver Age heroes and whatnot. The team at the Himalayas face off against Golden Horn King, who was sent to find Nezha before they do. They go into the Raz al Ghul temple, only to find Nezha already fighting Swamp Thing and Poison Ivy. They say that Ivy came because she knew Raz was an eco-activist. She and Swamp thing determined it was Lazarus resin falling from the sky, and they came here to keep it from further affecting the green. I'm very interested in that plotline because I love Poison Ivy. After knocking out Nessa, his evil energy ends up going into Batman, and it's a cool pinup shot. The artist who does this issue is the friggin' best, I swear. Uh, and the issue proper ends with Damien being confronted by King Firebowl himself. So that leaves us with Assault on Krypton, which I believe came out in this past week. So the issue kind of starts, Dreamer arrives on the scene of Batman's being healed in the place where they heal him, and they're all talking. She tries to get into the dreams of Dr. Fate, who is Khalid Nasser, which I probably said wrong. Uh, he is the one who they need to um, kind of save things, I guess. <laughs> uh, and they can't find him, so she's trying to find him through his dreams. She reaches for something, and things go very weird. End of that story. The next story is um, John stops a petty thief because he has hit nine spots already in that day. Uh, for some reason, John starts to spark, and if I'm not mistaken, the dude steals his cape. That's another story of something about LexCorp. I didn't really care. But then you have the Power Girl story. Uh, Power Girl has disappeared from wherever it was that they are, and now she is elsewhere. Uh, we don't really know. She fights through all of it, and she meets a telepath called Omen. I'm really interested in this. It is to be continued in Action Comics 1051. So, uh, still coming as parts of the Direct Lazarus Planet event. Uh, today we have released We Were Once Gods, we knew about that, um, 31st, because technically the first week of February is going to come on the 31st for DC, Legends Reborn, on the 7th, Next Evolution, also uh, on the 7th, Monkey Prince 11, which is a tie-in, on Valentine's Day, Dark Fate, the 21st is Omega, and then... Uh, February 28th will be Batman vs. Robin number 5. March 14th is Revenge of the Gods, and then March 21st is a Wonder Woman tie-in for 797. Uh, issue 797. March 28th is Revenge of the Gods number 2, and then April 11th, Revenge of the Gods number 3, April 25th, Revenge of the Gods number 4, and then we'll have another tie-in at an, I think, yet unknown date, Wonder Woman 798. So that will be the end of Lazarus Planet. Getting into the rest of the comics, as I said earlier, I did not really like the new Fantastic Four that is going now. Uh, the first issue was basically Ben and Alicia trying to save some town from disappearing into the past. Um, and then Reed does some crap and blows their building out of New York, so standard. 
Poison Ivy 7 and 8, I really, really enjoyed. Um, issue 7, we have a guest artist, Atigan Ilhan. I'm sorry, I did not like their art at all. Um, really didn't like it. Issue 7, I think, was a little bit better than issue 8. 7 was much more detective-y in feel. Um, and issue 8 was kind of just wrapping up what that was really briefly. Um I don't really think this is going to be an important couple of issues. I think we're, we're kind of tying two arcs together here. Um, but there's some really brutal art and some brutal scenes. Um, so I, I really, I really did enjoy these issues, but I uh, did not like the guest artist. Um, I, I want the old one back. Um, and hopefully we'll get into some more like interesting topical stuff again in issue nine. Photon number one and two have premiered and come out, and I loved it. The first issue um, goes over a lot of, you know, standard Monica kind of stuff. Uh, rundown of her character, a little bit of her history, blah, blah, blah. My favorite thing of issue one was the references to how she was the original female Captain Marvel, and she is still known as such in certain parts of the country. Um, She's from, I believe, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, and she, uh, being the first Captain Marvel, which was dubbed to her from a newspaper title where, um, a, I believe he was like a, he was a French, um, sailor or something like that, French worker of some kind. He ends up getting saved by her and she calls her El Capitan Marveilleux or whatever the marvelous is in French, right? Um, and then I've had multiple people say, uh, tell me that when they first heard there was a Captain Marvel movie coming and it was a female Captain Marvel, their first thought was Monica Rambeau, which I respect the heck out of. And so I really, really love that um, they made the point of putting that in there, that she was the original female Captain Marvel. And depending on where you are, people will remember her as the one. And I like that. Uh, issue two, she has wound up in the 19... 19- when she was on the Avengers team, I want to say 80s, I'm not even sure, uh, in Louisiana, she meets the Beyonder, but he's, like, different, uh, and the Avengers come to her aid. A lot of things are different very slightly in this timeline, wherever she's found herself, including that she is married to Jericho, aka Brother Voodoo, which they've kind of had a romance off and on here and there. Um, I feel like Brother Voodoo needs somebody who is magical, Obviously, she's adjacent to magical, honestly, Monica. Um, but uh, this will be interesting. How will she handle this alt reality where she is married to Jericho? I really, I really enjoy that. Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn has had issues twenty three, twenty four, and twenty five. Um, really, basically summarizing twenty three really quick. Um, Harley had been killed and brought back in a Lazarus pit. Um, and then she gets this cult who follow her because they hear that she came back to life who call themselves the quintessentials. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <coughs> Matteo Loli is the new artist. Uh, absolutely brilliant art. I am like, I'm so, so, so into it. Uh, there's also brings up the question of, did Damien get aged up? Because some artists are drawing him aged up and some artists aren't. And I'm confused by that. Uh, but he shows up, they fight, and then they hang out, and he basically addresses the fact that the pit has changed her. And it's in issue 24, um, 
that we find out that Harley was killed by the Harley who laughs. And yes, that did sell out. No, I didn't get one. And yes, I am mad about it. And issue 25, the Harley who laughs wants to be the only Harley in the multiverse. Uh, there's some really funny jokes like 2005 called and they want their after school mall goth aesthetic back. I'm telling you, man, Stephanie Phillips. I love her writing. Old lady Harley shows up as she accidentally sends them through the multiverse in the attack. Old and modern Harley have to end up teaming up to fight the Harley who laughs. Killer Frost um, tries to come in and help that, but then uh, Harley comes in and smashes the time bracelet that the Harley who laughs uses, and a bunch of extra-dimensional versions of herself appear through portholes, including Mer Harley, which was mentioned in question by both Old Lady Harley and the modern Harley. Love continuity jokes. Radiant Pink number one is part of the massive verse. I really couldn't get into a lot of the other ones, and because of that, I probably won't continue with this one. Um, I'll, I'll read issue two some point this week and see what I think. But for issue one, um, it's basically this streamer is faking having the, the hero Radiant Pink on her stream, but really it's just Radiant Pink is her, and she's just using her powers to do both. Then we have Red Sonia, Hell Sonia. Um, which is kind of fun. I kind of liked it. Um, it starts with hell falling. So obviously hell Sonia has to go to earth and she gets a new human body. Sonia, meanwhile, has her lover Warwick back again. I guess he came back from the dead in the previous hell Sonia series. Uh, and she encounters the aliens that are invading earth now. And then she encounters hell Sonia. Uh, issue one ends with Warwick being infected by the demon thingies secretly, the aliens. Issue two, it starts snowing blood. Helsonia is still struggling in her human body. They go back to this house that they find. Um, Warwick transforms into his new form, whatever the heck it is. It's like an alien thing by peeling his skin off. Really cool. Um, Sonia uh, discovers she has memories of this place. She starts seeing visions of her dead family. Um, then it's a royal court in her visions, and her daughter is getting married. It's all very confusing. Issue two ends with her realizing this is her former home, which burned her family alive in it, and she kind of runs off into the snow. Hexware is really cool. Um, I don't know if I finished issue two, but issue one was super awesome. Uh, it's like a pseudo-dystopian sci-fi future. There are some junkies who can't break into a junk shop, so they grab this android who's heavier than what they're trying to break the window with, and they throw her through the riot glass. It is narrated by the android, who is new to having her own thoughts and feelings, which we'll learn about later in the issue. Uh, in her past, she worked for a somewhat pagan-esque family. A bomb goes off during their shopping trip, and she was too robotic then to understand what was happening, even as her charge, the young girl, lay dying, or I guess teenage girl, lay dying in the hospital bed next to her. It's like a dog not understanding why its owner isn't getting up in the morning. The family continues to fall apart after her death, but all she could do was ask, how can I help? She eventually, uh, they put her in sleep mode, they eventually get she eventually gets out of sleep mode through a glitch or peer determination, whichever you prefer, and she reads all of the pagan-themed books in the house. With all of that, she's able to combine all human rituals and summon herself a mother-flippin' soul. 
So she makes the deal, she must retrieve, uh, her part of the deal, she must retrieve those who have escaped perdition. So now she decides to break her rational robot thought patterns by doing irrational things, or as she calls them, human things, like wearing a big witch hat. She bursts into a bar and confronts this lady who's there, saying she has taken something that doesn't belong to her, and the android is here to take it back. The witch fights her and just about tears the robot arms off, or she does tear the robot arms off. The robot realizes she cannot feel pain and uses the magic she seems to have to continue fighting as arms. Uh, as far as I got in issue two, she reattaches her arms and destroys the person she's trying to take down. And we also discover that she is her uh, teenage ward from previously who died. She is Jessaminder Marks. That was the soul that she asked for. So she takes it all in and decides to call herself Witchware, uh, which was the robot of her family, but she stays on her own. It is too hard to go back to the parents as Jess, she decides. So she's going to just be... She's going to be witch wear to her family, I think, is what she decides. Uh, really cool outfit, and that's as far as I got in that issue. But it's really great. Um, I'm going to finish the second issue and keep up with the rest, hopefully. Dark Knights of Steel number 9 was a big deal issue because we finally got the answer to what the heck is going on, and the answer is White Martians because they can transform and, you know, mind control and stuff like that. Absolutely love it. Uh, also, Alfred was Martian Manhunter. Fun stuff. Purgatory Must Die comes from Dynamite. I did not know Evil Ernie ended up at Dynamite, but he was in this issue. Basically, the whole thing is that all of the Dynamite characters are going to be hunting her down, and I am very strongly and surprisingly into it. Wasp number one was not a bad... It was not a bad issue at all, but there were some things that just made zero sense, such as um, the uh, daughter-in-law, whatever the heck she is, stepdaughter, runs a company called GIRL, G-I-R-L, which stands for Genius in Action Research Labs. I'm sorry, that is GIRL. Where's the action? Where's the A? They just didn't put the... I'm sorry, that's so stupid. That's so stupid. You just wanted to say girl so badly that you just took out the word action, and now it's genius in research labs, not genius in action research labs. That's so stupid. I'm sorry. Uh, the art is really great, but honestly, reading this comic, it really felt like Jan's time was up, and you're just trying to force this to happen. She doesn't really fit somehow. Uh, and her costume design, also absolutely horrendous. Why does she have titty armor? Why is it so intricate? Um, and then in, at the end of the issue, they, they bring in the alien the alien that killed her father and set her on the path to being an Avenger. And it's not a terrible idea, but it's wild left field and there is no reason for it to be happening now. It's just kind of happening now. Like after years of Jan not being really relevant in the comics, it's just happening now. Why? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lot of what bugged me, but it wasn't like, strictly bad. Grim number six and seven were awesome, as, I mean, Stephanie Phillips, I keep saying it. Uh, the character Harold, who I'm not sure who he is, he goes to the Fates 
and they ask him who can sit on the throne and not be king. I don't know, but it sounds super cool. Uh, the characters, Eddie, Marcel, and Jess, go to a music festival in Las Vegas. A woman confronts Jess before sitting a fire in effigy and walking into the flames, forcing Jess to rescue her. Uh, somehow the lady lives, and there's like, they notice an odd symbol on her forehead, like a tattoo. Nobody else can see it, but it's on everybody at the festival, and everybody they encounter has the same mark. Um, and the fates, meanwhile, are trying to cut someone's string, but the string won't cut, period. Issue 7, I have to take a moment to admire Flaviano being the artist of this book. Um, really, really really did a great job utilizing the space and the pages and absolutely fantastic art choice. Um, so it seems that everybody does have that mark on their forehead and that is because nobody is dying, even when they really should be dead. And so you get a lot of gruesome scenes like uh, a hospital patients who, who really should be dead, but they can't die. <laughs> and so they're just left there writhing in pain and suffering in the absence of death, right? completely brutal. And even then you get stuff like this baby that they knew was going to be stillborn is born and is alive. I'm sorry, but that is terrifying. What was wrong with that baby? Like this, this is just like horror stories in the making. Um, so the fates have to go and they find Jessica. They tell her, uh, that to save all life, she has to save death. And then there is a spooky epilogue where, uh, or uh, the a tiger mauls Harold in a theater. Again, not sure who Harold is. I definitely don't know who the tiger is. But I really like the way that the mythology of this like post-death world and characters is playing out. Super enjoyable. Exterminators number three and four. I only really remember issue four. Uh, they are the girls are taking to the collector's private stock. He calls it his personal harem. There is a piss boy kink joke. All very strange, to be honest. Uh, Dazzler says that she's going to get every woman out of here when they escape. We get her ex's backstory, but I frankly do not care. Uh, Boom Boom flushes bombs down the toilet and they all escape to Krakoa. Bay the Blood Moon is Krakoa's empire in baseball, which feels very appropriate. And then they win divs. I'm not really sure how that ending made any sense. Earth Divers, three issues here. So this dude goes back in time to kill Columbus and stop America from happening in order to save the world. He ends up making himself just as bad as the colonizers when he turns in a boy for witchcraft after mistakenly told the boy uh, some historical story, uh, which ended up being a prophecy from their perspectives in history, and the boy is cast overboard. Cool stuff. Um, so issue two is a lot of like that kind of writhing around in his mind, realizing that he's not actually doing the mission the way that he thought he was going to be able to do it really quick and easy. And issue three has a lot of his friends, IRL, um, trying to figure out if he was successful in his mission, and they're not really sure how to do that. Uh, but then when we see from his perspective again, it turns out he has basically had to become a colonizer to take out the colonizer. And I think the issue ends with him basically thinking to himself, like, God, I hope nobody ever discovers what I've turned into. <laughs> It's brutal, but I really enjoyed it, Earth Divers. Now, believe it or not, we are getting towards the end of this. It's just that this Vampirella versus Red Sonia uh, rundown is going to be real long, okay? It's going to be real long. I'll put in another timestamp after it and before it so you can skip it if you want. 
but I don't recommend it. I believe this is by Jordan Clark, who I think I hate, but I'm not sure. So this hero Dinah, issue one, this hero Dinah has just joined this team of heroes that protects all of these Earths. It's basically this multi-dimensional Earth protection team. Um, they call them projects or projections. Um, team of other superheroes. Many of them are generational. So there's like a professor. X, a Dr. X, and a Kid X, you know, so there's like a generational, but they're not related, which I thought was interesting. They just happen to have the same power sets. The captain of this group informs her, Dinah, that this uh, welcome is a quiet one because a major crisis has just broken out across all of the Earths, which again, they call projects. So they go to project headquarters in what they call a hyperspatial still point, and things are chaos. All the heroes are panicking, basically. The hero Black Venus hushes them all and gives us the rundown. Earth 6337 went into shutdown 16 hours ago. No contact, no visuals, no ability to even go there. All they have is a message from the surface from just before it cut out saying that a demonic apocalypse was sweeping across the globe. This theory that they have now is that the demons are doing this because they allowed a demon into their ranks. Vampirella. Vampy is caged when Sonia walks up to her. There is a note that Sonia does not speak English, which I enjoy because she's not from our Earth. She plays the message from the planet of uh, the, the demons attacking for Vampirella, and she Vampirella insists that she doesn't know anything about it. Vampy also learns none of the other heroes know that Sonia is down here talking to her. Sonia says there are two ways to fight magic with steel or with magic. She knows steel, Vampy knows magic. Sonia calls the other heroes science like pissing in the wind because it's not going to be helpful. Vampirella doesn't want to help, but she will get them in at least, so she um, makes up a little spell for them and gives it to Sonia. Sonia brings the spell to the group, who are uneasy with it at first, until the science of the heroes discover that the spell is basically a quantum loophole, which would totally work, so they decide to use it. Interestingly, in her cell when they use it, Vampirella can feel when it is activated. The world is crumbling under demonic influence. The, the team that goes to 6337, uh, half the heroes uh, end up like wetting themselves and want to go back immediately, and that's how the issue ends. Issue 2, when Project 8 headquarters, they have no way to contact their drop team. Their leader says if they don't hear back from the team within an hour, they will permanently close off the project for good, sacrificing that world to the demons. The hero Vanna... I think is her name, takes the new girl Dinah, who is also called Taja, to the Vault of Silence, which holds what they call artifacts. They talk to Dinah, and she realizes that there's only one magical artifact in here, and that is Vampirella. So she approaches her. After a long debate, which was honestly really well written, and I don't recommend skipping it, I'm just not going to do the rundown here, because why, Dinah ends up releasing Vampirella. Meanwhile, on Earth Project 6337, the team has landed in New York, overrun by demons and dark magic. Sonia is slaughtering away with her sword and tells the rest of the team they'll need cold steel or iron to kill them, not their fancy powers. The professor, the one who was supposed to make contact with AHQ, has pretty much lost his mind and is now useless. Uh, Sonia has some weird stuff going on with her suit. It, like, transforms, I guess. Um, the first to die is Mr. Dynamite, though. He is beheaded by a demon, and then long, not long after that, they find a message written in blood, Beware the Netherborn. Super ominous. I am wild into this. Uh, issue three, on Earth 6337, 
Oh my god, my cat. I need to pause this and take a picture of my cat. Okay, I'll post that on my Instagram so you can see it. Okay, on 6337, the heroes are arguing. Um, when the thought-lost hero of this world, Tim Terror, the one who sent the message in the beginning, he shows up. His mentor, Bob, runs up to him with joy. But Tim starts saying some weird stuff, mentions another born being there, and Sonia realizes this kid is a demon himself. Tim has become, in fact, the host of the Neverborn, Netherborn, which explodes out of him like a giant supernatural slug with eyes and arms and teeth and stuff. Uh, to fight it, Sonia takes the metal from her outfit, which I guess is something that the, um, the HQ, the headquarters gave her. It's some techie metal. Uh, and she uses it as a weapon to magically project it through the creature. Unfortunately, that still only wounds it, so they have to go and hide. Eventually, they figure out that it hasn't killed them yet because it wants them to reopen the doors out of this reality so that they can uh, leave here and spread across the multiverse. Sonya says that to save the rest of the worlds, they must stay here and die. Meanwhile, at Project Headquarters, Vampirella and Dinah argue with Jethro, who has encountered them, on why Vampirella is the only one who might actually be able to help. In the end, he does agree and takes the risk of freeing her. They go to the Techno Library, which sounds hilarious, and meet other heroes, Vanna and Mr. Raven, to get them on their side. Vanna believes Vampirella um, is the inside man or harbinger or possibly both, but in the end they all do agree to do some research on what the creatures are here in the digital library. Then they find, in stack 369, they discover an oddity that should not be there. Raven says whoever put it there locked it up right where locked it up tight and put it where they thought no one would check. It turns out to be a field report from an early mission upon the discovery of Projection 0102. The project founders went in and found it overrun by magic and demons. Unable to stop it, they locked the world away forever, trapped in its invading darkness. Even then, they had to wound it severely to close off the planet. The rest is history. The big kicker, though, is that every hero in this room, learning of this occasion, as if for the first time, was actually there when it happened in their real lives. How did they all forget? Raven asks if they did it to themselves, which is probably the most likely thing. Regardless, how did these Netherborn get to 6337? Vampirella says it has to have been... Uh, someone who was here in the project who let them out and led them there. They do some research in the digital logs and find it to have been the hero Liberator, but Vampy knows that he's been in medbay since her first mission out with them, meaning someone used his credentials. Just when they decide to go check on him in the medbay, they are all held in place by a force field as another group of heroes arrive to report them as traitors. Tales from Earth, Earth 6 was DC's celebration of Stan Lee's DC heroes. If you weren't aware, uh, I believe it was the early 2000s, I, uh, Stan Lee was mostly retired, so DC gave him um, these books to do his own version of the DC heroes. It was the Trinity and some others. Um, most of them were terrible. <laughs> But Stanley's Wonder Woman I really always enjoyed, um, and so I read this issue for just the Wonder Woman story, which was written by Stephanie Williams. In the story, she's an architect, and her su secret super identity is Wonder Woman. She still has that amazing costume, which I've always loved. She goes on a dinner date with a co-worker. Of course, she has to go out and be a hero during their date, and the villain ends up being a single mom who lost her job and has a sick kid 
who, of course, uh, Wonder Woman shows mercy to. They go back to her place after dinner for coffee, and he admits that he may be a Wonder Woman fan now. Aw, cute. Okay. His story number three, I do not have much to say about because you need to read it to really get it. Um, however, they do give a new mythology for why the Amazons are on the mascara and why their tribes or how their tribes were founded and how Diana came to be. Mostly number one was good an idea, but the writing feels a lot like Old Man Yells at Cloud. Basically, he's supposed to be the anti-tech messiah, who himself had a hand in the tech originally. It's it's fine. Two Graves 1 through 3 was a retelling of the Persephone story. I very much enjoy it um, so far, although I'm still 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 a bit confused. But hopefully by the end I'll figure it out. Uh, I have some ideas, but I'm not really sure. So the woman, um, there's a woman who pretends to be interested in some guy. It turns out that she is hunting for his soul, kind of, uh, for the for the murder of a woman uh, he once claimed to love called Anna Maria. His truck comes to a stop in front of a faceless man who comes up and touches them from the glass, killing him. The woman and this man who we're going to call death, for lack of a better word, uh, they dump his body off a cliff. Death narrates that he shouldn't be taking her anywhere, but she won't live long enough for it to matter. As he drives off with her, he tells her that he was, that that was the only one that he doesn't do this for sport. She replies by asking where they're headed, to which he thinks to himself, hunting. Obviously, they do this for sport. When he gives her a granola bar later, she jokes about one month in hell for every bite, and he retells her a version of the Persephone story. When she narrates, she doesn't remember how they met. He thinks she's a terrible mistake, and she's his. She is taking her mother's ashes east. He is her ride. He's here at this particular shore to reap an old woman's soul in her last moments. Later, the woman, who is Amelia, narrates that everything dies, everything except for her. However, death seems to somehow know that she'll die as soon as they reach their destination. Meanwhile, people there are people on like motorcycles watching them. Issue two, as he takes her to reap another body, she realizes that this is not the kind of thing you show someone who will ever, ever be free. They drive through a town that looks normal to her, but she later learns that it's been a ghost town for over a century. And that's where I got the idea that he's actually had her on this journey for like hundreds of years <laughs> and she doesn't know it. The hunters on the bikes are May, Decima, and Indigo. They are the fates, as far as I can tell, and they are following a hit order that he placed on Amelia. They talk about how Amelia is long past her time, uh, and there, again, I'm starting to see that she is actually quite old, hence her weird memories. When Amelia touches May, her arm burns. Issue three, his face becomes more and more clear in every issue. He says that they're walking in the woods to look for a boy. They find shelter in an abandoned house filled with ghosts. Amelia jokes she doesn't want her mom's ashes getting any ideas. They find the boy's body in the morning, and Amelia gets the search party over to see it. Death seems to admit later that he did not do whatever to her, whatever that means, and doesn't know what is happening to her. I think he's lying about at least one of those points. Um, really interesting, but I'm hella confused. Traveling to Mars number one and two, I enjoyed, but after finishing issue two, I'm not really sure why I'm reading it. 
or why there's a reason to continue reading it, honestly. Uh, it's a dying Alabama man is sent to Mars since they know that he won't be able to come back. His family is getting $10 million. The first issue gives his life story, where he's from, how this all came to be, etc. He talks of the rovers that he's been sent with, called Leopold and Albert, and he's narrating through a journal entry on January 23rd, 2048, and I was reading this on January 23rd, 2023, so that was pretty funny. The company sending him is Easy Beef out of Florida, purveyors of fine fake meats. Um, There's this whole thing about how it was completely random that that's the company who's going to claim Mars and everything. Whatever. Oh, it's because there was like oil on Mars or something, yeah. Uh, so as he takes off in his plane, he realizes that it is he's made a huge mistake. Issue 2 starts by telling the story of King Ermahon, which is the name of the ship that he's on. Ermahon had won his kingdom by chopping his hand off during a race and throwing it onto shore, so it got there before he did. The rest of the issue is pretty much just him um, video chatting his mother and them crying, and it's just sad. And that's about it. <laughs> Specs uh, was one that I read, God, had to have been two months ago now. It was nice, but I, I don't, it wasn't interesting enough for me to keep up. She-Hulk 8 and 9 have happened. Um, I guess the woman was not, she was not, did not have dwarfism. It was just a really weird way to portray her in the art. It doesn't make it any less weird, though, in my opinion. But basically, the villains are just this couple who wanted to be Hulk-powered, and it didn't go well. That's about it. Kind of disappointing, to be honest. Strange 8 through 10 basically um, wraps up the whole series under Steven's name, which I'm still angry about, uh, just as a brief, why are you angry about this, Anna? Well, first of all, the last time before um, the death of Doctor Strange that we saw, Clea, she and Steven were long separated. It was not new. It was a thing that they had come to terms with at that point. Now she just shows up and Jed McKay or whoever it is has her being written as, like, a simp for Steven again? I mean, what? She hasn't been that in actual decades, uh, because he, I mean, she basically realized that he couldn't handle her being more powerful than him, and that's why they broke up before. Like, that's literally part of it. Is, are we not gonna hit that wall again? <laughs> anyway, also, uh, Clea is of the Faultine and of the Dark Dimension. Neither of those races have what you would call a family name. So calling herself Clea Strange makes absolutely zero sense. Additionally, of the Faultine, that side of her, she is, uh, well, the Faultine, they refuse to use, they're, they're physically disgusted by references to family and familial ties and genealogy and things like that. So they literally would never, ever have a family name, like Strange. They would never do that, and that's, you know, she doesn't have that much connection to her Faultine side, but good lord. The Dark Dimension has no last names. Why would she suddenly want to adopt a man's last name due to a earthen custom of marriage, which they are no longer? <sighs> but apparently she'll be in the next stuff, so I guess I'll keep reading it for her. Um, and maybe someday Marvel will let me write Clea, because I swear to god, I am the most knowledgeable person about her character. I have read her history every single issue. Whatever. Um, so then Captain Marvel 44 and 45, we're doing Revenge of the Brood. Um, it's kind of interesting because this is a kind of a throwback to her arc with being a, a um, 
uh, with Rogue, I guess, being a villain of hers, I guess is what you would say. Um, and now they're, Kelly Thompson has kind of made it her thing to try and fix that. And she's done an all right job. This story I'm hoping will do better than the last one that she did with them. Um, and it's also supposedly we're supposed to be getting, uh, some kind of new power set for Carol out of this arc as well, which I'm very excited for. Finally, Demon Wars, Shield of Justice. This was, uh, I believe, two of three of Peach Romoko's new uh, Demon Wars saga. Really, really fantastic. I did not make notes for it, but it was really great, and I highly recommend that you read Peach Romoko's work if you have not already. And that leaves us with the Wakanda Forever review and breakdown. So I'm going to start with the brief non-spoiler review, which is not my non-spoiler review. This is from Mark Bernardin, um, who is a director, writer, producer. Um, I think mostly he writes at this point in his career. So what he had to say about this was, this movie is a wake. This movie is a let us process the loss of both Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa. And the movie very much engages with that as a real thing. And so the night was very kind of much this in this feeling of, he went to the premiere is what this is about, not funeral because it wasn't grim, but it was a celebratory, it was in a celebratory of a life. It was in a whatever. Uh, whereas in the first one back in 2018 was a party, you know, it was a coronation in a lot of different ways, a coronation of Chadwick as T'Challa. It was a coronation of Ryan Coogler as a filmmaker who can achieve the, at the highest levels of Marvel at making a movie this triumphantly black. It was a celebration of black Hollywood and black elitism and the black elite in Hollywood and pop culture and everywhere. So there was definitely a bouncier feeling in that first one where this was a little more solemn. But it was great to see. It's great to be back out in the world again, and so great to sit in that house, the Adobe Theater, and laugh with people about a movie like this, cry with people about a movie like this, and three or four times for sure when they do not pull punches in going for the emotional heft of it all. So that is your spoiler-free review. Here come the spoilers. Um, I cried in one number, a number of times during this movie. Um, Kevin Smith doesn't need anybody to help him. He's he's a straight white man in Hollywood. He's fine. Um, but good lord, people were being mean about his crying during Black Panther. I felt people I hope people felt really stupid when they went and saw the movie themselves and probably teared up at that final end credit scene as well. So there is a good reason to tear up at this. So, okay, so the funeral at the beginning was obviously um the first point, which because it re it mirrors kind of with real life, with how he died, keeping his secret. Uh, the Marvel titles that had uh, just Chadwick all over them, that was that was really something. That really gave me chills. Um, Shuri showing up as the Panther for the first time was a big moment for me as well. Definitely teared up there. Pretty much any scene with the Chadwick flashbacks, um, the end credit sequence when she sits at the fire and closes her eyes and thinks back to him. And then, of course, the kid which I had seen a tiny little spoiler and I sort of knew was coming. I definitely cried. <laughs> uh, definitely cried. Um, so let's go over some from some points of the movie we're going to talk about. Uh, just some things that I love the physics of it next here. And then obviously Namor, uh, some Easter eggs, Re, Re, Tucson, and the rest. So what I say, what I mean about love the physics of this, um, it's kind of how 
they made Icarus flying in the Eternals different than Superman has ever flown in anything ever. And it looked natural. It looked so much more natural. Like, we didn't know that you could fly like that and have it look natural. And it does. Uh, the things that they did that with, Namor's wing, Namor, I'm saying Namor, it's Namor, Namor's winged feet, um, that was, that was a really cool, it looked like it worked. <laughs> and then, of course, the people of Talokan, uh letting their arms just kind of float in the water, because why would they need to hold them at their sides? They live underwater. Just let your arms float the way that they do. I really enjoyed those two little details. But let's talk about Namor, king of Talokan. He is the ruler of Talokan, the underwater Mesoamerican civilization that escaped the wrath of the Spanish colonizers. In Aztec mythology, um... Tlaucan, I'm not sure how to say it. It's a T and an L right after one another. Uh, but it's an otherworldly realm presided over by the rain god Tlaloc, which I also definitely muttered. Um, he is 500 years old, which they did not try to hide at all. Very, very obviously 500 years old. He's basically immortal. They straight up call him a mutant, say that he is a mutant among his people. And that hair swipe when we first meet him that was nice to look at. That was attractive. Yeah. Uh, and the reason that we are calling him Namor and not Namor, even though half of the cast still said Namor for some reason, uh, is because he was called a child without love. El Nino Sin Amor. Namor. There you go. Say it right! Uh, he was revered by, or is revered by the people of Talokan as Kulkulkan, the feathered serpent god, epitomized with his winged ankles and feather headdress. In mythology, uh, Kulkulkan is the Mayan contemporary to the Aztecs Quetzalcoatl, I think is how you say that, who did appear in Thor, Love and Thunder. Fun fact. Now some Easter eggs. There were a number of references to Chadwick in the in the movie, one being uh, the license plate of the truck transporting the arrested Everett Ross at the end of the movie. It reads CB112976, which is a direct reference to Chadwick's birthday, uh, November 29th, 1976. The uh, griot, I forgot how, griot, is that whatever, um, the little thing that Riri has, her little, her little, like, um, Jarvis, basically. Uh, that is voiced by Trevor Noah, and that term, griot, I forgot how to say it, is in West African culture, it means a poet, musician, or storyteller who is often tasked with keeping tradition alive. Fun little detail. Uh, they talked about Bass, who is, of course, the panther goddess. Um, vibranium in the earth brings up a lot of thought about the Savage Land possibly coming into stuff, because the vibranium was uh, under the water as well. They talk about Wakabe, who was played by Daniel Kaluuya, the Wakandan traitor from the first movie, and him being now held in a Wakandan prison. Umbako, we learn, uh, is a vegetarian. Or I think he said previously he was a vegetarian. Uh, we see him eating a carrot in this movie, and then I guess he's king now, is kind of how it wraps up. Uh, Killmonger returns as Shuri's spirit guide, which was really, I'm not gonna lie, I was, that was awesome. Um, and he, she follows his advice for revenge, basically, to the point that she sees her mother at last telling her to show Namor who she truly is inside, and then she gets this, and then she gets it right, right? Ao and Naneka are, are 
lovely couple in the Dora Milaje. They are also canon from the comics. And of course, the Midnight Angels, they come from the Do More comic series. They did a really phenomenal job of translating those very comic book outfits into live action. It did look a little bit funny, but I mean, it's, it's superhero stuff. It's always going to look a little bit funny. Now, Riri, I absolutely adored Riri's part in this movie. She gets her iron suit from Wakanda. Uh, it, she basically makes her Mark One at MIT. Uh, she MacGuffin together a vibranium de- detector that discovered Talokan, sort of, um, or where they were at least. So that's why Namor wants her dead. It's a wee bit extreme, yes, but it is so very accurate to the character of Namor. Tony is not mentioned in the movie, thank goodness, it's about time, we are over that. (laughs) The Stark name is only said once as his business. Hell yeah, we're moving forward at last. (laughs) It does reference him though, of course. Uh, Riri's journey in the movie echoes his journey in the first Iron Man movie. She is abducted in an attack, spends time in a cave, even pounds out iron by hand. Her first suit design also sees her fly too high into the atmosphere and ends up getting a lack of oxygen, just like Tony's first time using his suit during flight. And Dominique Thorne, the actress playing Riri, absolutely nailed it. I cannot give her enough kudos. Her makeshift armor was far better than Tony's makeshift Mark I, I just gotta say. And they did actually film at MIT, which is pretty rare. They said that there was a, quote, real value in MIT being represented in the film, which is very interesting. Apparently, Ironheart was used in a, the character of Ironheart was used in a 2017 admissions video. So they very clearly like her more than Tony Stark, who as a character was rejected from being able to film there. Uh, Ned and MJ also are going to be going to MIT soon, so that's something to keep in mind over there in the Spider Corner. Ironheart also is going to have her series hit Disney Plus late this year. And that leaves us with Toussaint and the rest. Toussaint, of course, being T'Challa and Nakia's child. Uh, he is Prince T'Challa is his true name. He proudly tells his aunt, which goddamn made me cry. Uh, He knew, T'Challa knew, um, and wanted his son to be private, so that was good. Um, He he must have been born during the blip is the best we could guess. He was also the one who told them not to go to the funeral. T'Challa was the one who told them not to go to the funeral, Nakia and his son, but made sure that they would be taken care of after his death. We also know that Queen Ramonda also had met... um, Toussaint, aka Prince T'Challa. So that's that's not something that is a harmful memory. That's a good thing. He is named after, interestingly, Toussaint Louverture. Louverture, I think is how you say that. I used to be able to speak French. A former slave and general who led the Haitian Revolution against France. One year after he died, Haiti became an independent state. When Shuri understands that Toussaint is her nephew's Haitian name, she speaks to him in the Wakandan dialect to ask who he is, the same way others before her have questioned Wakandas who are otherwise undercover in the world. And he tells her, my name is Prince T'Challa. My heart, that's... It's heavy, okay? (laughs) Uh, I'll go ahead and move past that, because I think we've all had that settled long enough now. Uh, as for the rest, we have Nakoya, sorry, I just combined their names. <laughs> we have Nakia, Okoye, and Aneka. Aneka was very much clearly into women from the start of seeing her. I thought it was going to be Shuri, but it's Ayo, and of course they are 
um, canon from the comics, there was the comment about um, whoever it was wearing, I think it was Shuri wearing Fenty 440. Whoever it was, that was really funny. Oh no, it was uh, Okoye was wearing Fenty 440, I think, right? It was just the Rihanna brand. I thought that was really cute. A fun reference to slip in there. Uh, we do have in this Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. She is, shows up in this because she is keeping an eye on Wakanda and also is the ex-wife of uh, Everett Ross, which I would swear that, that marriage line was ad-libbed. The whatever there was, apologize for whatever in our marriage, and he just, like, goes with it. I swear that it felt very much ad-libbed. Like, Belle was also in this movie for some reason. Uh, I really thought her character was going to be relevant, but no, she dies, like, right off. <laughs> she also voices the Black Widow in the What If animated show. Then we have Shuri plus science and magic. Uh, feels like a really, really good setup uh, of that combination and collision coming in Ironheart later this year. We know that movie is going to be, sorry, that show is going to be a lot of um, magic versus science. And we got a lot of that being touched on in this series as well. So I, or in this movie, <laughs> in this movie as well. So I very much enjoyed that. And then we have the synthetic herb. The heart-shaped herb is what gave the power of the Black Panther to you know, the Black Panther. Um, and so Theory, she was trying to make the synthetic herb after it had been destroyed in entirety by um, Killmonger, right? So she feels like she failed her brother instead of getting the, because she did not get the herb um, correct the first time for him. But she does get it correct after Namor gives her this bracelet, which was made from the fibers of the Talokan plant, which came from the rocks of, um, um, not uranium, <laughs> um, the, the stuff, you know, the, um, uh, the vibranium, um, that's, that's the fibers of the plant where they grew in the vibranium, and so that's how the magic, etc. Okay. Um, so that's how she does get it right, is she uses the fibers from that bracelet that Namor gave her to get the synthetic heart-shaped herb correctly, and that's how she becomes the Black Panther herself. I am really, really glad that she figures it all out in the end, uh, Shuri. Namor is totally long-gaming her, obviously. Like, the governor of Numenor in Rings of Power, no, he doesn't like the elves or the mainland, but he sees how interaction with them will benefit his people while they wait for their chance to strike or take over. Absolutely love it. Real governmental shit. And of course, the movie ends with Black Panther will return. In what format? Who knows? I'm pretty sure Letitia Wright accidentally slipped up. They're already filming the third one. Not filming, but they're already working on the third one. Ideas are being passed around. Names are being mentioned. So we are going to get a third Black Panther movie. And my bets are that we're going to see Shuri in the suit for the duration of the movie. Or if they really want to, they can give us a time jump. And we can see young Toussaint, Prince T'Challa, grow up and uh, gain the throne. Oh boy, that is it. Two hours and 11 minutes in and I have finished the comeback episode. Um, I restrained. I did not talk about the shows and movies on this one. I have Oscars preview on the lineup. I have trailers and trailers and trailers in the lineup. We have some news. Uh, we have some noteworthy things that have come out and that I have watched in this gap. Uh, Teen Titans, the Doom Patrol. I'm pretty sure there's another show that was happening that I'm just not even thinking about right now. 
And then there's probably going to be some anime or something that I'll talk about as well when we get into uh, recovering (laughs) the shows and movies from the past couple of months. We'll do that on the next episode. I feel like I've talked long enough. You can probably hear it in my voice. It's fading me. Um, So today is a Tuesday. Um, Enjoy your winter. It is, we're we're full blown in the winter right now. Um, I missed the winter solstice and everything like that in my gap for this podcast, but I needed that break and I am back full of force and uh, fingers crossed that next week I will not only have the new episode ready to go on the right time, but I will also have the little intro, like, I had the same thing. You can find my website at this, this, and that. I had like a thing that I just copied and pasted every time the same thing. I'm going to redo that and uh, hopefully we'll have that in the next episodes too. For whatever that's worth. Have a great week.